Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Good morning, everybody. It is August the 4th here on the Up Your Brave show with your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh where it's all about inspiration, education, motivation to empower you to up your brave in whatever area of life needs it at the moment. And it may fluctuate from week to week with wherever you need to up your brave or wherever you feel called to. Maybe it's wellness, relationships, parenting, work, or wherever. I'm your host and mom of two teens and a tween, speaker, author, business coach, truth seeker, and wellness warrior. And this week, what we are diving into is the topic of speaking and also study skills. I am going to be chatting with three amazing guests, starting off with the awesome Kath Vincent on public speaking as a leadership skill. So if that's something you've wanted to hone a little bit more, definitely listen in. Then we've got Tessa Livingston on trusting your authentic voice and mental health awareness, followed by our very first returning guest, Karen Tui Boys, who had an amazing interview back in May, where she talked about the school system and how it's broken. And we talked a little bit about homeschooling. Well, today she's sharing some tips on study smart, what the school system doesn't teach you, basically how to study some study skills that you can apply um, for yourself or your, your kids if they're studying for their mocks, which are coming up soon. Um, We've got a few exciting announcements in the world of RCR. So you may have heard that Reality Check Radio has just announced or launched our Foundation Members Club. We've already had um, thousands of people actually joining already. Um, And you can be one of them this week until I think today, there's a special sweet deal until today. So definitely jump on board if you've been thinking about it. Um, So RCR, as you know, is on a mission to revive honest media. It's a great mission, Um, and now you can be a key part of it by joining the Foundation Members Club. Here's what you get. You get exclusive benefits only available to club members, including, but not limited to, your backstage pass to join the hosts for an interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. So that's going to be in the form of a monthly webinar. So it's Sunday, this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. We're going to have our very first one. So once you're a member, you get invited to that, along, of course, with some daily curated news summaries that get delivered to your inbox every day. They're calling this RCR Bytes. Um, the real news coming at you just in a summary digest form. You can click through to learn more, or you can just scan it and get the the updates. So that's really keeping you in the pulse of what's happening, the news that really matters just for a few minutes a day. Um, And then finally, and the other bonus is mates rates on merch. So you might've seen there's some cool caps and a bag and t-shirts for RCR. If you want to kind of spread the word (laughs) subliminally, um, you can get some of that merch and wear it. And of course you get discounts as a member. You can check it all out, realitycheck.radio slash members. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And I'm excited to see some of you on Sunday. The other thing I'm excited about is um, I'm excited to um, offer a giveaway. So here's a little bit of info about a giveaway coming up, especially if you are wanting to keep the love alive in your relationship. So have a listen to this. So back in May, I had the honor of interviewing Vane and Jacobs on the topic of empowered relationships. And some of you might remember that since then, I went along to with my husband to the Weekend to Remember to their event. Um, and I thought it would be a super cool idea to 
do a giveaway to, you know, kind of um, pay it forward, share the love, so to speak. So I'm excited to sponsor uh, one couple's um, fee, you know, to go along to the upcoming weekend to remember, which is happening in Tauranga on the 15th to 17th of September. Now in the studio with me, I'm talking to Vayne and I brought him back again so we can give you guys a little overview. What exactly is the weekend to remember? What to expect? Like what, how does it work? And all the details. And of course, how to enter and put yourself in the draw. So Vayne welcome back. Hey, Natalie. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you're bringing us back, you know, after seeing what we do and all. Well, you know, I wanted to hear also um, if you had any feedback or how the radio show went for you. You guys, if you missed it, you can go and listen to the replay of our interview. Um, but yeah, did you have many people comment about it to you? Oh, well, not me personally, but I had some comments, you know, come through from from your side. And yeah, I mean, I had some people that I shared that with and they were, you know, quite uh, excited about the idea, you know, that we're we're talking, we're helping people empower relationships and uh, yeah, we're just impacting uh, families. It is, a, it's a really tricky time for people. Um, and I know a lot of relationships have not done so well. They've not fared so well. So what we're hoping to do here today is just let people know about your upcoming weekend to remember how they can get themselves in the draw if they feel like it's something they want to attend. So can you give us like a quick overview? What is it about? How does it work? How many people go? All the things. Yeah, sure. So, you know, these relationship weekends, uh, we say it's like, you know, taking your car for a service. You don't take your car for a service because it's broken. Although sometimes when it breaks down, you also want to take it to the shop. Um, but actually you take your car for a service regularly to prevent it from breaking down. It's the same with your relationship, you know, so we have, we have couples at these weekends on all sort of spectrums. Some literally check us out before they check out, you know, as a last resort for their marriage. Mm -hmm. And others come because their marriages are doing great. Uh, they want to, you know, continue to grow. Uh, some, you know, just simply want a weekend away with no kids, uh, you know, to focus on them and, and have, you know, some uninterrupted discussion. So uh, there's about roughly about 70 or 80 couples at these weekends. So it's a very non-threatening space for people to uh, just have that time to to get good input content for their marriage. And then there's these great prompts. You know, you do these projects over the weekend. Um, I might ask you, Natalie, um, what did you find most impactful of that weekend? Um, well, like you said, you know, it's interesting. When I told my husband about it, when I I wouldn't say pitched the idea, but when I suggested that we go, I said, you know, it's not like some very intimate 10 people only, you know, pouring out their hearts type situation. There's like right. going to be, you know, a hundred people or so there. So it was exactly as you described. So I really appreciated that in terms of what I was, the vision I was creating for him. Um, the seating was really interesting. It was like socially distanced. You know what I mean? People were, they were sitting in couples. So you're not sitting side by side by side with all these people. It was very much, you felt like you were together as a couple and you could have a conversation without the person beside you hearing. Um, but to answer your question, I love that you had the workbook and the workbook had prompts and questions. And then these little, you called them projects. Mm -hmm. um, I would call them exercises, not physical fitness exercises, but little projects, little things that we as a couple would do in the designated lunch date time or dinner date time or, or yeah. whatever. So I really loved the prompts because it mm -hmm. wasn't just me going, Ooh, let's talk about this. It was you guys telling yeah. us what to talk about, what to discuss. Yeah. Um, so it was facilitated. And then we were given the, the grace and the space to kind of have those conversations. And of course, to make some little notes and little comments to ourselves. I yeah. liked it. 
Yeah, one thing that I'd always, uh, I often say at these weekends to couples, you know, a lot of what you learn this weekend um, might not be groundbreaking new ideas. A lot of what you'll hear is actually common sense. But here's the thing, is it common practice? Mm. And that makes all the difference. It's one thing to know how to resolve um, an issue or a conflict or ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness. And so we'll have a whole session on maybe handling conflict, doing it well, um, when you've messed up, how to actually clean up. And then we send couples off to say, okay, now think about a conflict situation that's, you know, live in your relationship and follow these prompts and actually mm. uh, reconcile these matters. Um, you know, that's on the one side. Uh, but what I love and, you know, how many couples have actually come back to us saying that, because uh, we talk about communication as well. And so I think it's the Sunday that you actually get to write a love letter to your spouse. And for so many couples, you know, they, they, come, they come away and for the first time in many, many years um, mm. felt, you know, for the ladies felt cherished by their, uh, their husbands and, you know, for the husbands actually felt seen and respected um, by their spouse because it's just these common uh, knowledge things that we just don't do every day. So good. You know, I really valued that. I'm not a big note taker. So I love the fact that I didn't have to take screeds of notes. I just kind of sat there and absorbed and reflected. Um, okay. So let's, let's just dive into, I talked about when it was the 15 to 17 September in Tauranga. So do you have people coming from all over New Zealand for this or is it really locals? Yeah, totally. All over New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's a great location. It's a great uh, hotel. So if you can stay in, that's the, I guess that's the ideal because you're just in the room and you go down to the conference venue and that's the whole experience. But of course, if you want to live, lo if you live local and you want to drive in, uh, you know, we keep it open so that people, if they cannot maybe afford staying the weekend, they could, you know, just uh, have a bit more of a budget option. Uh, but I want to, I'd love to comment on that because we yeah. did ours in Auckland. We live in Auckland, literally 15 minutes from the venue, but we booked the hotel for one of the nights. So it's, it's two nights. It's Friday, Saturday. We booked the hotel for one night. I would say retrospectively, do I wish that we'd stayed in the hotel two nights? 100%. Yeah. So if people can wrangle that in terms of babysitters or whatever, pet sitters, um, I would definitely recommend it. The other thing I want to highlight that I was pleasantly surprised about is that, like you said, there was such a range of couples. There was like couples there that newlywed or they're about to get married or they've been together for 47 years or like it was right across the board. So I don't want people thinking, oh, this is just for, you know, couples like my husband and I, 17 years together, mm -hmm. you know, six years before that. And, and it's been tough, real tough in the last three years. No, there's, there's a wide range of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. Not that I chatted to a lot of people. I wasn't my usual social networking self. I was very much in the zone of focusing on my marriage. Yeah. Well, and it's designed that way, right? It's mm. it's a non-threatening environment. And I think there's just something when people get together with a common purpose and everyone is there to strengthen their marriage, no matter where they are on the scale. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So let's, um, let's go to, um, I don't know if you want to mention the price. So basically in the giveaway, I will be covering the fee for the, for one couple. So all people, all people need to do is go to familylife.nz slash up your brave. That's right. There, you know, there'll be a, a, somewhere where you can enter your details to go in the draw to win. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are going to offer like a slight discount, like some sort of promo code. If some people go, well, listen, I don't need to go in the draw, but I love the sound of this. Um, and they just want to book themselves in ASAP. So you're going to have, I think, a slight 
discount code there. And anyone that enters the draw is going to get three free date ideas emailed to them, right? That's right. <laughs> Look, we're all about helping families grow together and impact their corner of the world. We know when a, when a marriage thrives, the, the kids in that marriage thrive, the neighbors thrive, you know, at work, people do much better. Uh, it just has such a big ripple effect. Um, so yeah, we're going to provide a discount there, free date night ideas. There's heaps of other free resources on our website as well. But definitely, if you can make it out to Weekend Remember, do check it out. And thanks, Natalie, for sponsoring, uh, you know, someone from your audience to, to actually attend for, for free. Well, I know the ripple effect will be amazing. And we do need a lot of couples out there. We do need some a bit of guidance at this time. Um, okay, when does it end? It ends on the 15th of August, which is one month before the actual event, which is the 15th of September. And we will be in touch with the winner and we'll announce it and all the things. Um, or you can just go to the page, you guys, and you can enter or not. And then you can click through to listen to the replay of my interview with Vainan back in May, where we talked about empowered relationships. So I would definitely suggest checking that out. But we're going to have that all in the same place, familylife.nz slash up your brave. Good luck, everybody. So if you want to up your brave in your relationship, in your marriage, um, then definitely get on board or get your hat in the ring to win the giveaway um, where it's covered. The fee will be covered for you. The fee actually is quite low. I think it's 295 approximately. So if you figure you don't want to go in the giveaway, you just want to sign up, you can do that too. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. You're listening to Reality Check Radio here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh. My next guest is a long, long, long time friend, a fellow business coach. She's a speaker coach, a business consultant, and a leadership coach. I'm going to be talking to Kath Vincent on the topic of public speaking as a leadership skill. Welcome to the show, Kath. Hi, Nat. I'm so thrilled to talk to you because number one, I love the concept. I love I love public speaking and I love empowering people with public speaking. So I'm so pumped to talk to you today. Awesome. Let's get into it. <laughs> Let's get into it. Hey, but before we do, for those of you that don't know Kath Vincent, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So Kath has been a business consultant in the UK. You can hear from her accent, Australia and New Zealand for over 20 years, while herself being a successful business owner and entrepreneur. She has worked on multi-million dollar infrastructure projects, launched businesses in three countries, and won a UK Department of Trade and Industry Award for her own startup software company. Her multi-sector experience includes advertising, IT, government, infrastructure, food, and manufacturing. Her passion has always been for achieving tangible results with small and medium enterprises. Kath, I'm so thrilled to have you today. And I love every time I interview a friend, I always learn new stuff about them that I never knew. <laughs> we're all very dark horses. We all have all these huge amount of things that we're up to all the time. Well, speaking of what you're up to, I thought we'd kick it off um, giving our listeners a little bit of a more of an idea about you, but specifically, um, how have the last three years here in New Zealand been for you? Mm, 
Well, the last three years have been great. The three before that were really traumatic because my husband and I took on a huge renovation. Um, if you've ever done a reno and tried to fund it, live in it, all that, all at the same time, it's incredibly stressful. But we bought a 1950s warehouse in Auckland CBD and it was actually a contaminated methamphetamine lab at the time. Was it a, was it a sweet deal? when you bought it were you like this is a good price oh, do you know what it, it was but still it was a massive stretch for us you know right. we're at the auction going oh we really want this property how can we cling on and you know spend an extra thousand dollars and an extra thousand dollars? and it just ran and ran the auction just ran and ran it was the most stressful experience of my entire life <laughs> so I don't recommend that for your sanity but um yeah once the renovation was done and we've created this amazing studio right in the center of Auckland and we live there and work there and run cool stuff um just living with that has been amazing for the last three years or four or five years it's um yeah it's been great amazing and um that's great. And I know your husband is a musician, so it's that must be a fun little combination having um, music in the house all the time. It totally is. And I'm not really musical, but, you know, if I'm doing kind of consultancy things, you know, the kind of things where you're using your mind a lot and I fancy a break, I just go downstairs into the studio, you know, bang the drums for a bit or something. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. And there's there's usually beer going on there as well. So it's all great. Amazing. Well, hey, we'll definitely we'll play one of uh, Jesse Wilde's songs um, at some point in the show today. So that'll be cool. Cool. Let's talk about public speaking, something that so many people are nervous about, or at least we're, we're told so many people are nervous about. Maybe they're not. Um, but why is it that people are so wary of public speaking? Oh, it's, you know, it's a learned behavior. It's actually cultural. It's, you know, we're used to the idea that, you know, we don't really want any tall poppies, you know, that whole tall poppy syndrome. So we're used to the idea that we should be shy and retiring to fit in with our peers. And so if you think about it, when you're a kid, you know, when you were born and crawling and walking and talking, you were dying to speak, you know. You, nobody said about that kid, oh, you know, I don't think we've got a talker. You know, I think they'll probably never handle it, you know. We, we grow and we, we learn to crawl even though we fall down and we learn to speak even though it, it's difficult at the beginning. And then through schooling and fitting in with our peers and being appropriate, we start to suppress our self-expression in little ways. And then, and then that's, that's what we grow up with and go into the workforce with. And so we perceive it as normal. You know, it's normal to be afraid of public speaking. And then we all buy into it and we reiterate that pattern for everyone. So interesting, the concept of being appropriate right? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and and then suppressing our self-expression. And I think you're right. I think we do it in 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 clothing and fashion. I was out yeah. at a... Um, <laughs> I was out at a, a cycling race with my daughter the other day with... and. You know, let's just say I don't dress the same as all the moms, you know, like yeah. I'm a little bit more colorful, a little bit more funky. And she's like, mom, I'm really loving. She says it sarcastically. I'm loving your kind of leopard print camouflage combo that you've got going on with, especially with those socks. And I'm like, honey, you know, I'm never going to water myself down to be approved of. <laughs> I love that. That's, you know, you've just phrased that so beautifully. There's a sense of like watering ourselves down, you know, and that's not okay. It's so not okay. Yeah, 
So I think, and people do that in terms of that, that's a visual thing with the clothing, but verbally, um, and let's, you know, of course, in the last three years, that's been more than ever, but just generally for people, when they think of public speaking, I think most people automatically go back to when they were in school and they had to do a speech with the cue cards and their palms are sweaty and the pencil ink, you know, it's all like smudging. I mean, is that where it comes from? Having your peers stare at you while your knees shake? Yeah. And, you know, people say things unwittingly that reinforce the pattern. So I remember years ago, like early on in my corporate career, being sent on a corporate public speaking training program and being there with my peers. And we had to give a presentation for five minutes on a hobby. So not difficult, nothing too taxing, something that you were familiar with. So we each got up. We're all kind of dying to get it over with, you know. And at the end, the trainer said, so out of everyone who was nervous? Every single person, yeah, their hand shot up. And you're like, oh, gosh, every person. And the trainer said, well, you see, it's normal. And I was like left with, it's completely fine to be nervous. And that's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. And that stayed with me for the next 20 years. Like, that's appalling, isn't it? It yes. is. So how did you transition then from that, the state of like a nervous person, nervous when speaking to a crowd, to someone that actually, I imagine you do now, feels not only comfortable, but like thrives in that environment? Yeah, you know, I did a lot of training. I did a lot of personal development training, which is kind of tapping into the self-expression part. And if you're willing to take yourself on in terms of personal growth, you've got a much better chance of resolving any fear that's in your way. And as part of a suite of programs, I went on a on a public speaking training course and it just kind of changed my perspective. I realized you know what, no one benefits from you kind of memorizing a speech and clinging to it to try and get it out in one piece. Um, But actually, with a lot less planning and a lot less control and a bit more freedom, you could actually be a lot better. You know, if you were just like you were when you chatted to your mate in, in in the coffee bar, you know, we don't, kind of have this stranglehold on our expression when we meet up with our friends you know like if you and I sit down and have a coffee I don't go oh goodness I hope I'm going to remember what I what I wanted to say to her (laughs) you know be ridiculous wouldn't it it would be and I mean so do you feel like that's a good starting point so if someone's listening and they're thinking yeah you know I'm however old 20 whatever 40 whatever and I'm still nervous to speak. And maybe you're not speaking to an audience like Kath and I do at live events. Maybe it's just that you have to report at the board meeting once a year and your heart is pounding and you don't sleep. You know, what are some practical tips that you can share with our listeners today around like how to, you know, speak with more confidence or like be calmer when you speak? What are some practical things they can do? Well, I think the first thing is to decide that you're going to take it on. So the reason most people suffer with it is they give a presentation once because they had to at work, they were called upon to do it, they hated it, and then they stop. And that's their entire experience. So 100% of the times they have spoken, i.e. once, was (laughs) terrible, right? So that's an absolute experience that is very hard to argue with. So if you want to conquer this, you have to decide you're in. Not, 
oh, I did one or maybe I'll do one more, you know, in my life and never anymore. You've got to say, right, I'm definitely doing this. And you have to create some little, ideally low risk opportunities for you to, to try it out, to have the training wheels on. And so put a date in your diary if you can. Now, for a lot of people, there are opportunities for them to try this. They just haven't embraced them. So they could put their hand up to lead that team meeting that normally Bob leads, right? Mm -hmm. It could just as well be you. Hey, Bob, I can help you out. Why don't I take on one? Um, Often at work, people have all kinds of opportunities. And it might be just a two-minute message to the team. It doesn't have to be a big presentation, but take those on. So you have some kind of framework for delivery, you know, it's not just some skill that you're learning for no purpose. Yeah. Like if you were booked in at a presentation and you knew you were going to have to do it in three months from now, you would be right. I'm on a program. I'm, I'm training, training, training. So you have to make it something you want to show up for. I think you're right. I think a lot of people have an experience, probably not so positive, and then they slap a label on their chest that says, I hate public speaking or I'm not a good speaker. And they cling to that for the rest of their lives. But I think it's like, yeah, you only tried it once. Like what other thing? I mean, I went roller, no, 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 ice skating with my kids in the school holidays. And to be fair, I thought I was going to be better because I'm Canadian and I used to skate, but I wasn't (laughs) as good as I remembered. But the point is, if I only skated once, And then I never skated again. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not really good ice skater, but it's like, you only did it once. What do you expect? So I think you're right. Okay. So people are deciding that they're in and creating little low risk opportunities to practice the craft. Okay. Yes. What else? And then I think the other thing is that people often over plan and under practice. So I remember creating presentations years ago and like staying up all night. Have you ever done that? Where you're like, oh my God, you know, stay up and you craft all these words and you relentlessly go over it. You know, oh, maybe I should say this. Oh no, maybe I should say that. And you spend a lot of time trying to find the right words when the truth is that on the day, you're going to use the words that come into your head. You're not going to remember like 5,000 words that you wrote down. And the place to put your effort is not in trying to craft the perfect presentation that you've got no chance of faithfully repeating, but in practicing your delivery. And your delivery is made up of your tone of voice, your behavior, your physiology, anything, any body language, um, and also the words that you use. And that's a cocktail of aspects for influence and they they vary but the perceived wisdom is that the actual words that you spend all night writing really have a very small percentage of the overall impact and much more is to be gained by practicing your tone of voice you know you have a lot of reach by how you vary your tone of voice um, and your body language so you want to develop confident body language as well and these are things that people can develop over time and also learn, I believe, from ask, watching other people and seeing, I call them speaker habits. You know, you can watch someone in a video and um, you can see the, the certain habits that people have and some of them are helpful to the the viewer and some of them are distracting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, yeah. So practicing, being aware of those three 
areas. And how important is like the words are important, but not so much memorizing, but being authentic, but the message, you know, so it's like, what, yeah. What is the point of your talk? Like, what is the takeaway message? How critical is that? Well, it's super important that there is something in there that matters. Now, often individual words on their own don't convey a lot of meaning. It's when they're sewn together that there is a meaning that another human being can perceive and understand and make sense of. And so when you're creating your presentation, go, why does this matter? So very often people cram in way too many details. And a reality test for that is to say to yourself, so what? Like imagine a person is hearing it and they're literally going, so what? You know, because sometimes people get into a bit of a narration about, well, then I did this and then I did that and then this happened and then that happened, la, da, 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 da. Just stop yourself and go, so what? And the answer is, well, actually, that's not the important bit. The important bit is that you triumphed over adversity. And so you want to kind of tease out the nuggets of the stuff that means something to another human being. Like, I don't really care if you had breakfast or didn't have breakfast, but I do care about how you felt about it. You know, so to compare the two, um, I had breakfast, I made some toast, and then I cooked some eggs and then the egg broke. You know, it's like, oh, OK, whatever. <laughs> but if you were conveying that you, you're trying to go get that job that you always wanted and then breakfast turns into a disaster then we care about it because it's the human connection and the emotion I love it and the storytelling is so important in in terms of speaking hey so to give people the um you know the faith that they can do it too I know you have a group called she says so a a network not a networking group a, a public speaking group can you give us some example like an example of someone that's been in that group that's gone from kind of being quite shaky with their speaking to kind of a bit of a a change or a transformation to become confident and um, effective? Totally. And you know what? When I look at all the people in that group, there's no two women alike. And I think that that is a really important point. So we're all kind of at some level conditioned to try and fit in. And there is no fitting in because you're a club of one. There is only you that is that shape, that uniqueness that has your fingerprints. And so as I kind of, when you say, think of an example, my God, goodness, they're all so different. Um, I remember a woman who, um, she was an incredible speaker, but she didn't think she was because English wasn't her first language. Mm. So she is South American. And so, you know, her her English was heavily accented, but she was so engaging and dramatic. And she literally hired a, a coach who told her that she pronounced all the words wrong. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this woman has so much self-expression. She is so inspiring. And somebody was interfering with her language patterns, saying, oh, you're not pronouncing the words right. I mean, that's terrible. And she was losing kind of hope and interest in speaking. So that is a great successful story. And for me, the success stories are always about a person becoming more than they already are, like more of themselves. Mm. It's not trying to be different or even better. It's just turning up the volume on who you already are. 
So the opposite of watering yourself down. Completely. It's it's kind of like neat Ribena. Do you remember Ribena? Do you yeah. know that here? Yeah, right. So it's really concentrated. <laughs> it's like that. You know, you want all the good stuff really concentrated. I think part of the key is, like you said, for people to practice. So practicing in whatever you want to call it, like a friendly environment. Um, so some of some people might have heard me talk about this, but um, over the school holidays, my sister came from America and my other sister lives here. And anyway, my dad had asked us for his 80th to all present a very small sh- slideshow on our achievements over the last year. <laughs> so all so there's 10 grandchildren um, from age 12, that's mine, all the way up to age, I think, 22. Um, and then, of course, you know, the sons-in-laws and my sisters, we all did a little presentation. So for some people, that would have been super daunting, like very yeah. intimidating. Um, so I guess it's like, how can people create either something going to something like you've got this this she says so group where they actually practice in front of a safe friendly environment that will possibly give you feedback um you is is that part of the key is either seeking out or creating your own opportunities for real actual people to be in your audience even if it's only three people sitting there listening to you yeah so there's two separate things here one is you can practice without an audience you can practice at home and Consider, for example, tone. Just think about sentences that you say and think, how could I have said that differently? Like this is a really simple, simple exercise. Um, So, you know, even just the word hello can be said so many different ways. You know, you see someone you haven't seen for ages, you know, full of kind of, might be a bit high pitched and full of excitement or the way that teenagers say hello which means you're stupid, right? They go, hello, right? right? <laughs> now, just by thinking about the tone, there's so much meaning in that, you know? Um, so just practice at home with things that you say, you know? Actually, one, one day, this is this is awful. Um, I was kind of annoyed with my husband and I heard my daughter in the next room and I went, oh, hey, honey, because <laughs> I thought it was her. It wasn't her, it was him. And I went, oh, that <laughs> oh. wasn't real. <laughs> and I just noticed the massive shift in tonality there. So, you know, in your everyday speaking around the house to your mates, to your family, you can have a think about and play with your tonality. So very, very easy way to, to practice. And then the other part of it, so that's practicing at home. But the other part is about, this idea of having a framework in which you can practice and it's worthwhile. So we said set a date. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Which is a kind of accountability. That's that's what that is. You put the date in and it's like, okay, got to do it now. Um, and the next thing is repetition, like the repetition of practice. So you need to either commit yourself to repeat all that at home. Or you need to go to a place where you're going to keep doing it. Um, And that's the benefit of a regular group. You know, Mm. you just show up and you just keep doing it. Um, And a big part of that is an opportunity to desensitize your experience. So if you keep doing something, it becomes kind of ordinary. We just go, oh, yeah. You know, um, if just think about anything you were once really even excited about, you get a brand new car, you're like, oh, this is so amazing. That's not my thing, actually, but that's how people are. And then within three months, they're like, oh, you just take it for granted. Yeah. 
Um, and you want to just take it for granted that you're good at speaking. That's just how you are. It's just, yeah. I don't even think about it anymore. That's where you want to get to. And you do need the repetition to make that happen. So it's, yeah, it's that acclimatization. So now your heart doesn't pound quite as much or at all. Um, yeah. And that that's, I think that's amazing. That's yeah. so helpful. What I'm also thinking about with this topic, public speaking as a leadership skill, yeah. I imagine that there'll be people out there that actually want to actively upskill in this area in terms of job prospects. Yes, totally. Because if you can go into an interview and not just do well in an interview, that's, you know, that's a skill in itself, but, but to be able to say, yeah, I'm, you know, they might say, Hey, are you, how are you with giving presentations? Cause in this role, you'll be expected to blah, blah, blah. And to be able to confidently and genuinely say, yes, I am very comfortable with doing presentations and public speaking. I think that's a great asset on someone's CV. Yeah, totally. So whether you're um, seeking a job for the first time, you're trying to get promoted in your job, or you want to start your own enterprise Mm -hmm. um, and or you manage heaps of other people, I I honestly think it is the most underutilized leadership skill. And really, it's about self-leadership. You can't be a great leader for other people unless you've really gotten to grips with who you are And you can manage that. And when I say manage that, you know, we can all be great or awful. You know, some days I'm amazing and some days I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like doing the things that a really successful person would do. And so you want to become a person who can take yourself on in all circumstances. So I really feel that the journey into who you are as a speaker is an amazing journey of personal discovery. And the impacts are far reaching, far more than, oh, good, I gave a good presentation. You know, I've noticed so much in my women speakers group that people go on to do other things that they didn't expect. Mm. You know, we, we had a woman in one day and she she looked a bit different. She came, she'd been coming for a few weeks and she came in and I thought, wow, she looks completely radiant. What is going on with her? Couldn't take my eyes off her the whole meeting. And the second it was over, I made a beeline for her. And I'm like, (laughs) ooh, spill the beans. Come on, honey, what's going on? And I I actually thought she was going to tell me, oh, you know, I've fallen in love or I've, you know, got engaged. I I felt it was something like that. (laughs) And she was like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, I've tied my hair back is it that and I'm like no 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 that's not it and then she says oh well actually I uh, I decided to start my own business and I've wanted to do it for like 10 years and she just she looked like a completely different person and so when you really own who you are and the things that you care about and you don't shy away from that and you don't dilute that Mm -hmm. you really are the most vibrant version of yourself and it's the law of attraction for all the things that you want I never thought about it like that as a catalyst for other things in your life I mean it makes sense the the confidence that you gain from knowing that you can speak if asked or invited um giving you confidence to do other things. That's that's an awesome story. Super cool. Hey, for those of you listening, I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, for yourself, how do you feel about public speaking generally? And even more importantly, do you feel like you're ready to embrace some of these tips or strategies that Kath has mentioned? We would love to hear from you. You can send us a text, 2057. 
Or if you're more into email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Let us know your thoughts for yourself around public speaking and um, what you've learned today. We would love to hear. Hey, Kath, before we go into the four questions that I ask all my guests, um, do you have another practical tip or another story that you want to share? Well, I think a really important thing, if you've got a presentation in mind and you want a tip for that, your first moments are the most important. And so um, what you really want to do is to kind of get your head straight and stop unconscious, unwanted thoughts from just bubbling up and derailing you. And so you're going to be thinking something unconsciously anyway. You might as well take control of that and plan a conscious thought in there that's that's positive and will serve you. And so I have a little model that I talk people through that explains how we go through this thought process thousands of times a day where we have a thought. The thought causes us to feel an emotion. Emotion actually is what causes us to take action. If ever you're wondering, oh, why did I eat that cake? Well, it's emotion that causes us to take actions, good or bad. And of course, as we know, actions give us the results. And it quite neatly spells T-E-A-R, tear or tear, so you'll be able to remember it. So we go through that thousands of times a day anyway. And left unchecked, our starting thought about speaking is often something like, oh, no, my boss is in the front row. Oh, I'm awful at this. Oh, I always feel this terrible or something like that. And what happens is that starts this chain reaction where because you've acknowledged, oh, I always feel anxious, you then generate the feeling of anxiety as an emotion in your body. And then, you, you know, you act like an anxious person and you get the results of an anxious person. And so you just want to come up with a starting thought, which is true and empowering. So we don't want to create you know, a lie. Oh, I'm always so confident at this, if that's not how you feel yet. But you might at least acknowledge this is 10 minutes of my life, you know, and that might give you an emotion of relief. And from that place, you would be able to speak more confidently. So however you choose to do it, master those first moments. Take take um, your stand when you get up to the stage or in front of people or wherever you're standing. Just take a moment to kind of plant yourself like a bit a bit of an oak tree and take a breath before you start. So those opening moments, I think, are really important. That is a great tip around, um, yeah, you're getting your mindset right and then physically in your body, grounding yourself. Um, because not always, we're not always standing when we present, but quite often we are. And I've seen a lot of people stand there and they put their feet, like they. I've done this before myself, <laughs> crossing my legs. And then you look really unstable and you actually feel quite unstable. So don't do that. <laughs> Ground you yourself. Look, <laughs> you your look feet. like you need to go to the toilet. That's I know, that's, the not, that's not a good look. That's not what we're after. But, but you know, it's an interesting point about sitting down presenting. So mm. two things about that. One is most people aren't as nervous when they're sitting down. And the reason for that is that when we stand and we're one end and the other people in front of us, we're we're very exposed physically. Like our soft underbelly Mm. is exposed to the rest of the tribe. And 
you know, genetically, we are programmed to try and fit into a tribe so we don't get killed by a saber-toothed tiger and die. So there's a very real reason that it feels harder for people often when they stand. So that's an important thing to acknowledge. The second thing I really want to say about sitting down is if you want to have influence, your body language and physiology has a massive impact. And so like more than more than half than the, of the potential impact, around 55%. So what you want to do is stand where possible. Mm-hmm. And if you're speaking at a conference or, you know, in a menu or something like that, do not stand behind the lectern. Yes. You cut off all that impact you can have with your body. And some people would want to, you know, if you do speak, they will often say to you, oh, do you want to use the lectern? And I'm always like, no, 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 because I, I, like <laughs> I like to move around the place. Um, but for some people, wouldn't they feel a source of kind of stability and protection having the lectern there? They would. And if you are not well practiced, you might choose to take that very safe option. But if you have been practicing, as we recommend you do, you will be more comfortable in your skin and then better able to influence by being out front. Um, You also do have the opportunity to ideally look at the venue in advance Mm -hmm. and see, hey, how do I want to fit into my environment so that I feel really comfortable? You know, you might need a little table for a prop or you might at least want to familiarize yourself with okay where is the screen and how do I fit in I don't want to be walking across the projector and and bits and pieces like that so um knowing the venue if it's a bigger uh speech or presentation is a very worthwhile exercise to calm your nerves too yeah, agreed. And that's that's so true that you mentioned there's so many little pieces of the puzzle to speaking that if people want to be uber prepared, um, then yeah, getting someone to help them like you or just going through all those questions like what color is the backdrop? You know, is it a headset, et cetera, yeah. is really, really super important. You know, I spoke at this event um, a couple of months ago. And it was just a small group, like maybe 12 women. And so I thought, oh, you you know, I normally stand, but it just would feel, it just was, it felt weird to be standing when there's everyone sitting. It's kind of like a coffee group situation. So I started off sitting, like trying to be more casual, but I'm such, I'm such an animated speaker (laughs) that I just, and I like to, when I give examples, I like to kind of act things out. So I just multiple times during the, the talk, I get up and stand up and do a little demo and I use my body a lot. And, um, but then I'd sit back down. So that that felt that felt good to me. It was good to try it out. I think it's good to try out different things. Yeah. In a, in see, a that, friendly that, environment. <laughs> that is self-expression, just dying to get out. That's what that is. You're like, yeah. damn, I can't sit on my hands. You know, I need to be up there. I can't speak without using my hands, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's your ex- self-expression bubbling up going, oh, yes, let, let me out. All right. So there's a little challenge to our listeners. If you feel like you want to improve your skills in in the speaking department, um, because there's so many benefits, as we highlighted, you can get in touch with Kath, which I'm going to ask her about in a minute. Um, Or you can try some of the tips that she mentioned, um, practicing to a friendly environment and standing versus hiding behind the lecture, lectern. Um, Okay, Kath, up your brave. What is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Oh, well, this is kind of a secret. <laughs> okay, Come on, you can tell 120,000 people, <laughs> 300,000 people. Well, you know what? Years ago, I ran a half marathon, like a long time ago. 
a really long time ago. I didn't know how long. I was just like, oh, that's a million years ago. And I really thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could run a half marathon fitter in my 50s than in my 30s? And I started training on my own and it was really bad because I had this thing, oh, you used to be so much better than this. Oh, you know, how can you be so slow? Like it was a lot of negative self-talk, exactly what we're talking about with public speaking, Mm -hmm. the same sort of dialogue in my head. And so I joined a little coaching program and it was so good. And it really broke it down into tiny actions you can do. So everything that we know about public speaking, but in a run program. And it was amazing. And I have actually improved by more than a minute per kilometer in since, how many months is that? Six, seven, in seven months. Nice. Um, And you know what? I've been through the entire emotional roller coaster with it. I felt like, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I'm too scared. Oh, I'm too old. Oh, I'm too lazy. Oh, I'm, you know, a bunch of stuff um, that we all experience in one way or another when we confront something we really want to do. And it has been amazing. And I'm not done yet. Like I've still got miles to go, but that's pretty exciting to me. Is there a race date? Well, <laughs> I'm trying to get so that I can do uh, 10K in under an hour. And when I clinch that, I would like to do the half marathon fitter in my 50s, which would be probably November next year. Nice. So, yeah. But it's, you know, it's bite sized pieces. Yeah. That's how you do it. You know, when I first started, I was like, right, I want to nail this big, hairy, audacious goal. And I, I would have no chance. It was too big. You have to go, right, okay, how can I improve from where I am today? Not who I was. And, I, mm. you know, I got the T-shirt out, the half marathon T-shirt, the one that I did run. Um, and it is literally, next year it will be 20 years ago. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you judge yourself really harshly that you thought you would be running the same at 55 as 35. <laughs> and we all do it, don't we? We all can judge ourselves really harshly. So um, a bit more compassion, I think, for all of us in all our endeavors would be great. Compassion, bite-sized pieces, and the other key that you mentioned, getting around other people with a similar goal, which is exactly like the whole thing with your club, your She Says So membership. Um, So I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. So, But before we do, bucket list. What is one thing on your bucket list, which is something you'd love to do, be, or experience that we can possibly help you with? Oh, goodness, that you can help me with. Hmm. Gosh, I, well, I want to go to Mexico and be completely fluent in Spanish. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to Mexico, but I'm working on the other bit. Um, But what is something on my bucket list that you can help me with? Crikey. I I want everyone on the planet to be self-expressed when they speak. Like, I don't even know how to articulate that you know more fully but it just needs to happen we can't keep perpetuating this thing that it's natural to be nervous when you speak it's not it's a prison and let's bust that wide open yeah let's do that all right well we put a challenge out there to anyone that wants to up their brave and um you know bust the myth that it's natural to be nervous when you speak 
um, challenge yourself and let us know how you go. What is coming up for you, Kath, in the next six months or so? And how can we connect with you if somebody wants to join your club? Or I know you do a lot of work also with like businesses and staff and you go and motivate them about leadership. So can you talk about that as well? Yeah, so there's three sort of strings to my bow, really. So passion, passion project is she says so, my women's speakers group. And that's on Wednesdays fortnightly. And it's it's great because it's just six to seven thirty. So it's an hour and a half. It's not like oh, I have to give up an evening. It's just the interlude between your work and your home, and you can just get the job done and have a really good time. Like we just have a laugh and eventually people associate speaking with having a laugh. Mm. Like, and that's how self-expression should be, right? I had coffee with my mate. I had a laugh. I did some public speaking. I had a laugh, you know, they're the same. Um, so that's one thing. Is that's in Auckland. Yes. That's Auckland. in Auckland. Yes. Sorry. Um, that's at the studio, Studio 38, uh, our former P-Lab, which is very <laughs> shiny and gorgeous now and beautiful polished concrete floors. And it's it's just a really cool creative space. And I'm constantly in awe that, that we pulled it off. You know, I'm just really kind of humbled by that. Um, so that's She Says So. Then um, I do a lot of work with SMEs uh, as a business consultant. and Again, through accountability, week by week by week, I work with them for a couple of hours every week, moving their businesses on. And our commitment is to stop their profit leakage. So small businesses leak a lot of profit in very predictable places. It's not hard to find. They just don't know where to look. And so that's really exciting. And I love to do that because when you influence a small business owner, you know, you improve the quality of their personal lives with their families and their employees and their employees' children. And there's a ripple effect that goes out among a lot of people. So very fulfilling work. And then the other thing is I'm obsessed with leadership, which starts, of course, with self-leadership. Um, and I get called upon to do that with corporates and, you know, do days on leadership stuff um, and public speaking comes into that as well so those are my hats and how can we find you uh kathvincent.com that's c-a-t-h vincent like the boy's name dot com <laughs> you could tell you could tell i have to spell it a lot right people always say vincent like the boy's name <laughs> did you say simpson i go no what is wrong with my pommy accent no <laughs> kathvincent.com so great. Kath, I love your energy, of course. I love your vibe. And I know that um, you help people stop like profit leaking. I mean, that's what every business struggles with is that they're just like leaving money on the table or let it letting it leak away. So awesome work that you do. Um, so for those listening, if it's you or if someone you know needs help in that area, you can contact kathvincent.com. Um, also, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Okay. And they can message you there as well. Super. Super duper. Amazing. Okay. So before we wrap it up, is there anything else you want to say to us about public speaking or public speaking as a leadership skill? Um, that everyone, anyone and everyone can and will be great at public speaking. It's not, oh, I'm a bit of an extrovert, a bit of an introvert rather. I'm not that kind of person. There isn't one kind of person, you know, it, there's just you. And you're amazing as you are. Let's crank up the volume on all the things about you that are great. So good. Thank you so much, Kat. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Nat. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio. 
I'm excited to hear from our listeners. I would love to know if you take on board or action any of those tips that Kath shared with us today. Of course, she's got many more tips, uh, but some of the things we discussed was her message around don't try to fit in. You are a club of one. I love that. She also said, decide that you are in, decide you're in and create low risk opportunities for yourself. The importance of planting a conscious thought before your talk. So your negative mindset doesn't run away on you. And of course, the usual things of being aware of your tone of voice, your body language, as well as your words. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Um, so you can get in touch with Kath, kathvincent.com. And as she mentioned, she's got this amazing, um, she says so, group that meets fortnightly in real life in Auckland. So you can find out about that on her website as well. Or you can hire her to go into your company and motivate your people. She's absolutely incredible in real life as you can imagine from hearing her today. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And today I've got my lovely friend, Tessa Livingston, talking to us. She is a voiceover artist, podcaster, content creator, and speaker. Hey, Tessa. Hi, how you doing? I'm so good. And you guys cannot see because we're audio only, but I can see Tessa's got this amazing podcast studio, this little padded room that she sits in for amazing quality audio. So good. <laughs> it's fantastic. Just do these on the wall. That's all you need for sound treatment. It's wonderful. <laughs> we actually have this canvas. Um, it's like this random can canvas painting that my kids found on the side of the road. It's like one meter by one meter. They mm. brought it home. And my husband painted it white and put it on the ceiling. And that's part of our soundproofing. Mm. Good job. I like I love that. it. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to be diving in to the topic of trusting your authentic voice and mental health awareness. So let's, let's start off with, um, you know, I guess kind of how have things been for you? I know you've been in the world of voiceover and podcasting and, and everything voice, um, but also like for everyone, you know, the last three years has been a journey. So I guess I'm just going to start with the basic, like how have the last three years been for you? The last three years have been rough. <laughs> They've been rough, you know. Like the the world has been such in such a interesting and and uh, and oh, I wanted to say tumultuous, but I don't even think that that's a word. What's that word? I can't even spell that word. But yay, it is a, it's been in a different a difficult phase. And um and you know I've been in that much like you, Nat. I've I've been in the same sort of wavelength and thinking that things aren't quite right and and not really um going with what the the main core of the world was going with. So um that was really really tough. And it uh and it changed a lot of things for me. It really forced me to um find what I love doing and um and really and really be there, not sort of do what I think I should be doing or what other people think I should be doing. To preface that for everybody, um, I'm I'm technically a speech therapist. I trained at Canterbury University and then was working as a speech therapist for a little while, um, specialising in voice. And when everything happened over the last few years, I wasn't able to do that anymore. And it actually really made me reevaluate that I didn't like it. it. It wasn't for me. And so I had to try and forge a different path while being, you know, feeling like the world was collapsing around me and and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's been it's been quite tricky. It's but beautiful, but tricky all in the same go. It's so fascinating this this topic of people a lot of people have reimagined their life, you know, and whether that's because they were mandated or their job just changed or whatever mm. over the last 3 years, particularly really reflecting on what is important to me 
how do I want to show up? What do I want to be doing with the, all these hours in the day? Like what actually does bring me joy? So I know that the voice thing always does bring you joy. And that's how you and I met. Um, so is that something that you think, like, do you, th- do you think a lot of people are not using their voice the way they should be. And that can be in a, in a career capacity or just in a speaking your truth capacity. Uh, absolutely. It's, um, it's an extremely difficult thing to do. It's not a thing that we ever encouraged to do. If you think about us as children, we, you know, we start at a very early age being told to shush if we're being too loud or, you know, or to, um, oh, what's the, uh, that, uh, that old favourite? Um, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. You heard that phrase before? <laughs> you know, that's what we all grew up with and it and it encourages us to change and manipulate our thoughts and feelings and the way that we express ourselves at a very, very early age. So, and absolutely, especially over the last few years, people have been not necessarily squashed vocally, but they're but their person has been squashed, their surroundings have been squashed. And as a direct result of that, the voice goes as well. You know, it gets um, it gets physically hard to say what you want to say or what you need to say because you haven't been given the grace to do so. It gets really, really hard. Squashed is an interesting word. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I definitely feel like that. I definitely mm. feel like, you know, squashed or quashed or pushed back. These are words I use for myself or yeah. I've had, you know, barricades put in my way. Uh, you know, I've been shamed and bullied. Like those are all the words that I've had. And I think a lot of people can resonate with some of those words, but definitely being squashed um, mm. in some way or squeezed into the corner. Like we listen, if you don't have anything that, if you don't have anything to say, that's along the lines of the narrative, don't say anything at all is almost yep. how we've been told. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets, it, every, every time that happens, it gets harder and harder to, to do it again. And also in, in that there's also a, a way of learning how to communicate authentically that actually isn't going to, you know, like to get other people's backs up or to maybe actually feel confident in your own authentic voice without actually having to say stuff out loud. We have internal voice and external voice and there's nothing wrong with feeling confident in your thoughts and feelings internally and not having to share them externally. That's actually just, I I find that's actually just as powerful as being able to do both, Um, you know, feeling so okay with the, the thoughts and feelings that you have and letting them resonate in you. It actually, I find that that helps to release your voice later on because you've really decided for yourself what's important to say out loud and what isn't. It's quite, that's been an interesting journey for me over the last three years, deciding where my voice is needed and where my voice is not. And almost like conserving myself to be like, no, I feel confident in what I'm thinking. And I'm going to keep that internal space and that internal strength for me. Because if I, if I use it out loud, my external voice might be shut down and then my internal voice will start to feel shut down. So that's been an interesting journey as well. I love that you highlighted that. I hadn't really thought about that in that way before, the internal and the external. And I mm. think for a lot of our listeners, that will be a sense of relief because I imagine a lot of people feel like, oh, I really should, you know, quotation, I really should speak up or I really should mm. say a little bit more. I really should be a bit more challenging mm. rather than keeping it all inside. Well, I feel like there's something energetically with your frequency. If you feel at peace with your views and the voice in your head and you really feel in tune with that, uh, that's powerful. That is powerfully going to affect things ener- anyway, even if it doesn't come out your mouth. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're now operating on your own frequency of, you know, that whole, um, if you see somebody living by example, even if you don't know what that example is, you can see them feeling being at peace with them, with with themselves, and you feel more gravitated towards them. You feel more comfortable around them, or whatever it is. We've all had that experience of 
our our internal voice saying something like we're feeling uncomfortable about something or, you know, something's getting our back up or whatever it is. And then we go to speak and this voice comes out that just sounds completely like this and they and they don't and they don't match or what, you know, what would have why did we need to use that external voice? It's okay for that internal voice to go, oh, yeah, that that feels yucky. That feels awful. I really, really don't like that. But I feel at peace with me and my sense of this. If I share this out loud, something is going to, you know, something might come back to me in a frequency that I don't want because it wasn't an authentic frequency for me to share at that moment. Mm. Not saying that we shouldn't stand up, not, sh- not saying that we shouldn't speak out and um, and share our truths more, but there's also great value in knowing your own truth and keeping that for you. Mm. Definitely. That's so, that's so important for people to realize and to give themselves, you know, permission to not feel like they have to speak, but when they do feel compelled, go for it. Mm. Um, There are certainly ways to say things. I know that sometimes my sister told me, you know, sometimes when I'm, I get so excited about things that she's like, oh my gosh, like you don't have to attack me. And she's, I was like, no, I'm not Mm. attacking you. I'm just like, feel really strongly about this. And, um, and to be fair, you know, she has been on the receiving end of a lot of my thoughts um, mm. over the past three years. And um, it's good for her to be, feel free to say, I feel like when you, you're, I feel like you're attacking me. And she literally puts yeah. her hands up and makes this, you know, defense position. Yeah. Um, but of course, not everyone's going to, you know, she's my sister. She can say that, but not everyone's yes. going to have someone that will say that. So it is good to be aware of how we come across. How do you strike that balance, right? Of being aware how we come across and making it palatable versus being our true authentic self and really expressing how we feel, whether that's what they want to hear or not. I think it's taking the time to sit and breathe. And it sounds so stupidly simple and it's because it is, but it's also really, really hard to engage with. We often get these, like like you said before, these senses of should or these senses of I have to speak up about this like if someone has an opinion about something that you're like I absolutely fundamentally disagree with that and that nearly that feeling of should or have to comes up actually if you can have a think about what value your words are going to have in that moment it'll give you an understanding as to whether you should or shouldn't I think there's I think if you can look at the intent behind your words Mm. and then look at the effect they're going to have well if my intent is to either Uh, tear down your opinion or make you change your mind, those two intents probably aren't very helpful for the energy and the frequency of the room, right? Because if you throw those things out there, you're going to be met with the same frequency. No one is all of a sudden going to go, oh, yes, I agree with you now. (laughs) You know, that that doesn't happen like that. So I think when you're in rooms and situations like that, understand what your intent is behind your words. And I think that's a step that people don't take. Why are you saying what you're about to say? What do you want from what you're going to say? And actually, if you can take a moment to just breathe and go, oh, that I didn't like that opinion and it made me upset and I wanted to hurt that person or I wanted to shame that person. You know, these are pretty big feelings and we don't always accept that actually that's what we want to do to people in moments like that. If we can take a moment to sit and breathe and go, actually, if I say that, the value of this is that it's going to do that to that person and I'm going to get this back. It's probably not worth saying. Mm-hmm. So it's worth to just sit and and feel okay with being upset. You don't have to challenge everybody. And then the word convince comes to mind for me mm. too. It's 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 trying to there's some people that I'm like, you know, I call them the unconvincibles and I'm like <laughs> I just, you know, it's not that I've given up, but it's like Nat, honestly, you know, you've 
they know your views, you know, it is what it is kind of mm. thing. And then I, you know, I've got a, a wonderful group of girls. Um, we have a group called sleeping partners cause we all have partners that are kind of asleep and, um, and we, and I've decided, okay, sometimes I'm going to not try to convince or change someone's mind. In fact, I'm just going to try to visualize them having, you know, coming to the uh, realizations on their own and, mm. and really putting that out as a, I guess that's manifesting in a way, but, you know, putting that out that vision that, that they will come to realizations on their own, in their own way, in their own time yeah. and trying to be more at peace with it rather than me being on my crusader mode yeah, of trying yeah. to convince. And it's hard. It's hard. Something I've, I've sort of had to learn over the last three years and I've had it reflected back to me a few times with a few people that I've encountered. And it's been, it's been such an interesting, an interesting thing. It's not, it's not my job to convince other people of their journeys. You know, it's it's my job to exist in my own. And if other people feel that my journey resonates with them, then absolutely they'll come alongside me. But if I'm um, forcing out an energy that's, you know, trying to convince or trying to, you know, whatever it is, that energy does nothing. And we, we've, all, we've all seen that before. We've all seen the people screaming on the sides of the streets or, you know, yelling at you through a TikTok video. Everyone just goes, blah, I don't want any of that. <laughs> but if somebody's just, speaking and just being and existing inside their journey the effect you have on other people's journeys is huge if that's right for them you know it, I, I think I think it's just it's not for us to intentionally go well I'm gonna you you're gonna you're gonna come over here with me and it's gonna be great that might not be their journey and you know what they might get there in 20 years on their own anyway and that's and that's just fine and that sounds like a long time but okay it yes, does sound like oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe four days <laughs> I'll, I'll change my number <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask you at the end where people can find you. But speaking of TikTok, I know mm. that I've watched some of yours where you do these voiceovers, um, yes. not voice. Yeah, you do kind of like, not sure, voiceovers or before and after type stuff. Can you give us a little demo of something? A little demo of something? Oh, my days. Oh, that's exciting. Well, um, I do uh, I do character voices and, and things as well, which is uh, which is really fun. I um, I like to mimic and just, just to practice and to play. Like a couple of my favorites... Um, Oh, who's off the top of my head? Ash Ketchum from Pokemon was one of my major favorites because he's got that cool American accent. He's like a 12-year-old boy. And he just sounds like he's excited all the time. It's amazing. So that's, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of my other favorites is Janice from Friends. Chandler, on. And she has that, you know, that amazing, oh my God, that amazing, like, high-pitched nasal voice. Um I love doing those sorts of things. And then there's, you know, like that that retail kind of sound that's the, um, oh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Whether you're looking to impress the kids, the neighbours, or the entire neighbourhood, you'll find the best lot of fireworks at our store. You know, those really fun sort of voices. I love We're doing them. so good. Oh, my God. For my <laughs> listeners, I did not even give her the heads up. I didn't even, like, tell her. So thank you for being spontaneously able that's to answer right. that question. That's fine. That's fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's what I love doing. So um, I'm more than happy. That's fine by me. I know. So I wanted to ask you about mechanics of voice because oh, I know yeah. that's something you love talking about. I don't really know what it means, but you, I know you love to talk about trusting your authentic voice and the energy with mechanics or something yeah. like that? What does that mean? So what that means is is it's basically body awareness. So we, we use our voice on such a Oh, what's the word I want? Uh, kind of like instinctual or habitual kind of nature. We just use it. It's a, it's a thing that just does what it does. It's like, you know, the way that your hand knows how to do things. Your voice just knows how to do things. You can just talk. But the thing that that can sometimes limit us in is that it can limit us from understanding that our voice can actually be inhibiting us in certain ways 
because of the way that we habitually use it. So, um, for example, when I was when I was a when I was a young lass, I um, used to one. I used to talk up here, so my voice was really really high and like up in my cheeks and very very bright. And I used to giggle at the ends of all of my sentences <laughs> and do that. And um and my mum. Why mom do you called, think you did that? Well, I know now. It took me years to figure it out. But and my mum called me out on it. She's like, "Tessa, you giggle at the end of all of your sentences." I was like, "No, I don't." I was <laughs> giggling at the end of everything, and um and it was really bizarre. And then I noticed it, and I was like, "Oh my days, I do. I giggle at the end of everything." But it was when I was in my teenage years, and a giggling, happy voice is a voice that won't get picked on. <laughs> I'm not upset. What? <laughs> no, you can't upset me. I'm fine. You know, it was um, it was me protecting myself mm. from other people, from from other people thinking that I was upset or that you know, if I, if I'm laughing and giggling, I'm agreeable. You can't be mean to an agreeable person. So um, it was me masking and protecting, and it took me a really really long time to drop my voice to allow it to sort of sit you know, more in my chest and a little bit heavier. And it, and it, the thing that actually took the longest to go away was my smile. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but if you're, if you're a person who resonates with this, you'll know exactly what I mean. We spend all of this time, and you can't see me because I'm on radio, but, um, you know, my eyebrows are up, my cheeks are up. I've got this, this smile on my face constantly. Permagrin. Yeah, and I had to learn how to move those things away so that I could actually just be a human. I didn't have to present in a certain way. So um, we can working with the mechanics of the voice, so mechanics basically just meaning the functioning of the voice, the anatomy and physiology of it all, knowing how certain ways we use it can really affect the way that we use our voice. So for, for women, women has a, we have a really great example. It's all kind of in the same sort of realm of what I was just talking about. But we all, um, lots of women have voices like this, quite high, quite light, and they don't have a lot of power to them. Like, uh, you can't really hear any of my voice happening in my chest, whereas my natural voice, you can hear it now, it's got a much lower frequency and it's, it's much heavier down low. Now there is nothing wrong with that style of voice. That style of voice exists for a very, very prominent reason. It keeps us safe, it keeps us agreeable, all kinds of things. And I know women will really, really understand that. But it inhibits us from using our voices in different ways to communicate other emotions. A voice like this really struggles to get angry. A voice like this struggles to be loud. So by knowing that we sit in certain places or maybe that we don't quite breathe properly, like if we're always holding onto our stomachs to make sure that we look thin like the girls in the magazines and are standing up nice and tall because we need to stand up nice and tall, actually if we're always holding onto that part of our body, we can't breathe low and then if we can't breathe low, we can't use our big strong voices because they're completely inhibited by the musculature of the body. They just are. So that's what I'm talking about when I say using your mechanics for your authentic voice or using your mechanics to understand yourself, experimenting with the body and how it functions to allow more of your vocal expression to come across, whether that's actually letting yourself get angry or um, letting yourself uh, express joy or, you know, whatever it is, the way that our voices work and the way that we habitually use them can often inhibit us from doing those things. Because some people will have the opposite habit, I guess, uh, opposite to your chirpy, cheery one is more monotone, more just really flat almost. Yes. Um, can 
can people that tend to speak more like that, I, I imagine if I spoke like that, I feel like I would feel like that. So how much does the way that you speak impact how you actually feel? Huge. Huge. It doesn't affect everybody. Obviously, we're all on a scale of how um, of how our bodies influence us in the real world. But oh, if you think about it this way, if um, if I if I have a really uh, oh, I'll try <laughs> try and put it on, so my voice doesn't always do this. If I have a really flat sort of monotone voice and I and I don't do this sort of thing, what actually ends up happening is that people perceive me a certain way, and then they reflect how I should be back to me, and then I adopt those because the world's a mirror. So why would I, you know, oh, you know, Tessa's, um, I, I don't think she should give that presentation. She's a little bit boring. Like those things, it's not necessarily, it's, it's more that the world reflects what we sound and look like back to us. And then we fill that space because that's what the world is telling us. So it can, it's the same like when we use, um, like the way that we think in our head, our mindset. Oh, I'm, I'm not good at this. I'm, 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 I'm never turning up early. I'm never blah, 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 blah. Those things affect our behaviour just like the way that our voice and the tone and the quality can affect our behaviour because it gets reflected back to us so quickly. When you had the the happy voice, let's call it, you know, the one yes. where you're speaking from with your cheeks and really <laughs> yeah. high and very agreeable, did you find that people liked you, but you had, once you dropped your voice, did you end up having actual deeper connections with people and they took you more seriously? Absolutely. Um, I actually found that having that that initial voice actually kept people at a very, very arm's length from me because it's not real and people don't engage with unreal or inauthentic or the people that did were not the people I actually wanted to engage with because I was welcoming in something that was resonating with what I was putting out as opposed to putting out what I wanted to be resonating and bringing the people in that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. I found that... um, the more I, and it's a, it's a bit of an odd term, but the more that I sat on my voice, and what I mean by that is that I allowed it to sit in my chest, I allowed it to feel comfortable inside my throat, is that the the people I needed to turn up in my life were more likely to because the frequency and the words and the energy that came with my voice came back to me. Mm. Mm. For the people that are listening, I am very keen to hear if this is resonating for you and specifically what, you know, we talked about the internal and the external voice. We talked about what is the intent when you um, Mm. talk to someone, are you trying to convince them or are you just really wanting to open their eyes? Sometimes the value of, um, of keeping your thoughts inside and being at peace with that, but also being aware of how you do speak, whether you speak with a a voice that's a little bit put on or whether you've sat on your own voice. We would love Mm. to hear from you. You can send a text to zero to 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio for the email. We would love to hear from you. And by the way, if you do message us, we love to know where you are. So geographically, if you can say your first name and where you live, we can do a little shout out if we happen to read your comments. Um, But if you you don't want us to read them out loud, no worries. You can just say anonymous. Um, So Tessa, what else have you got to share with us around this interesting topic of authentic voice and also mental health awareness? I think personally, it sounds like reflecting back to you, it sounds like if people are more likely to use their authentic voice, they are more likely to have, I imagine, better mental health because they're being more true to who they are. Yeah. Is that something that people, it sounds kind of not easy, but kind of something, suddenly people can be like, wow, I have been putting on a bit of a 
voice. And when you're putting on a voice, you're kind of putting on a show, which means you're not being truly who you are. What yeah. are your thoughts around that in terms of how it does relate to mental health and happiness? Well, yeah, it, it does. When you're putting on those sounds, like uh, I, I invite people to think about the last time they went to a, a party or a group of people that maybe they weren't so comfortable with it with. And, um, and we all have, it's like your telephone voice. It's like that immediate, like, hello, Tessa speaking. Like it's, you know, it's that, it's that higher, you know, and, and it is, it's, it's, it's normally raised for everybody. I don't know a lot of people who, um, the only people that this happens for, they, they tend to retract and their voices get lower and deeper because they don't really want to be interacting. So they tend to go the other way. But for those of us who are a little bit more, well, I'm here and I need to make the best of it. <laughs> that voice that comes out. Notice how exhausted you are when you come home. Notice the, the level of effort that had to go into your performance to be inside that space and if you do feel like that when you come home from somewhere take note of what your voice sounded like and how your body felt in that space I can guarantee you it'll be tight your shoulders will be pulled back your chest will be up your head will be raising a lot which is really really effortful for the body to do and the voice goes in the same direction it raises it gets brighter it gets harder to use and we're and you know and we and we overdo it. So if we're if we are sitting in that space, what I invite you to do is just to kind of look at okay, okay, well, why was I doing that? What in that space was making me uncomfortable? What did I engage with that maybe I just didn't need to engage with? You know, is there that person in there that you always think that you have to make an impression of or you don't really like them, but you feel like you need to talk to them anyway? Like those all of those things. By doing all of those practices, we're just reinforcing that our authentic internal voice is wrong and we're trying to cover it. You know, we spend so much time trying to trying to fill silences. This is something I've had to learn over the years is that actually just because it's quiet doesn't mean I have to speak. You know, it's, it's okay to be sitting in those spaces. So if we're looking to increase our authentic voice, it actually comes from gut feelings and going... I don't want to speak to that person. I don't have to speak to that person. And that is totally fine. You are well within your rights to do that. Obviously, don't be rude and don't be mean. We're not about that life. But it's totally okay for you to listen to that inner voice because every time you do that, you're just getting in reps and going, yep, I'm trusting my inner voice. I'm trusting my inner voice. And every time we do that, the outer voice is going to start feeling more confident to go, no, actually, I don't want to do that. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's that balance of, starting to listen to the voice you have in your gut because it knows so much and that that is that's your inner voice so once you start listening to that and going actually I'm just going to pause my external voice for a little bit and listen to that internal one then the external voice has the chance to actually fully bring out what is going on internally did that answer your question? I feel like it I went did. on a loop. <laughs> no, it's great. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, okay, giving self permission to not have to put on a performance, yes. you know, if they're meeting with friends or at a, you know, my scenario at a networking event, or mm. even, you know, in the school holidays, we had a family reunion of sorts. My sister flew over from America. My other sister came up from Tauranga. My parents live in Wellington. They came up, we all met in Taupo and, um, you know, so it's like we're having connecting with people that some of them we hadn't seen some of them in four years. Mm. And so even whatever your scenario is, whether it's a social setting or a work setting to just go, you don't have to put on a performance, just allow mm. yourself to, I'm going to say, sit on your voice. Cause I yeah. like that phrase yeah. to drop in to who you are and then speak from that place rather than 
what might have become a habit, um, like yeah. you were saying before, for some people. It is what if someone okay though? So I, I just want to add into yeah. this because I think this is really important. It's actually okay to use those voices as well. Our voice is um, is a safety mechanism. It's a part of the body that helps to keep us safe in certain environments. If you're in an environment where you do feel uncomfortable and you feel that by using this voice it's going to get you through it and then you can leave, that is totally fine. Don't think that using these voices is a negative thing. Just be aware of them and that if you are using them all the time, maybe you need to look at it. But if you're, you know, if most of the time you're feeling really comfortable, but then you go into a situation where you don't feel comfortable, there's nothing wrong with using those. Our, our voice is designed to help keep mm. us safe as well. So don't don't punish yourself if you have been using them. Just take stock and have a look at why and make your choices either way. Yeah, I love that because some people might think, oh, I don't really like cocktail parties or whatever. But then mm. they realize, well, it's actually because they've been subconsciously putting on this different voice. And when they don't do that, they're not as exhausted and it's actually more enjoyable. What about times when they do want to put on a bit of a performance? So whether they're presenting a report to the AGM or something at work (laughs) or, or they're doing like most of my people would be doing a webinar Mm. or speaking in some way, what guidance do you have in terms of either breathing or mindset activities to, to, be able to speak with confidence, but still authentically using their voice. Yeah, cool. Um, This always comes down to breath for me. Often what happens when we start presenting or we start talking in front of people is that we get this really short, shallow breath that comes in like this and we start and if you do that at home for yourself just now you'll feel your shoulders start to rise the back of your neck starts to come up the front of the throat gets tight and all of those sorts of things and and what that does is that actually limits our self-expression one because we can't breathe properly but two because we can't breathe properly the musculature around the throat and the neck are all starting to close down and it makes our voice really really hard to use and I can demonstrate that for you now we're going to do an exercise ha 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 exercises um so what I'll get everybody to do is to um, we're going to take a breath in doesn't matter how it comes in and then you're going to expel all of your air so you're just going to blow it out blow it out blow it out as fast as you can your stomach's going to start to get really really tight and as you feel like you have no more air left you're just going to release the muscles in your abdominal wall that have gotten tight and you're just going to feel how how much breath you get so I'll talk us all through it but we'll do it all together so taking a nice easy breath in blowing all your air out as fast as you can all the way to the end until you feel like you've got no more air left and the tummy's gotten really, 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 really tight. And as soon as it's gone all the way to the end, just let your belly go and let air come in. It just floods into the body, which is really, really cool. And so what I encourage people to do is to get familiar with that release and contraction of the diaphragm, of the abdominal walls, because as we learn to breathe into this space, what that does is it helps keep your voice grounded, it helps keep your pace under control. We all know that when we get up and start to speak, man, can we ramble. And I talk fast already, so this is something I've really had to work on as well. It keeps our voice grounded, it stops our pacing, it stops our voice raising in pitch, and it also keeps our oxygen in check. Like we're getting enough ear to be able to talk, which is really cool. So you can practice that really, really easily by just breathing all of your ear out, letting the belly get tight, and then releasing the belly as it's gotten tight. And then you can just sit with that and see if you can get that lower breath going. But that's always my advice to, to speakers is just to start with the breath, because without breath, we don't have voice. 
they you can't have one without the other. So um, yeah, breathing is always where I where I lead people back to because it just does so many things for you. Nice. And I'm sure there's there's so much more with breath. Um, I know mm. I'm going to ask you in a minute the, the questions that I ask everybody. And one of them mm. is where we can find you. So I know you probably do some breathing exercises on your TikTok or wherever as well. Um, is there anything else from you around the mental health awareness stuff or anything from your own journey before I dive into the, the wrap up questions? Yeah, sure. So because things have been really hard over the last little while and and I think what, you know, what that was born out of was uh, out of a bit of fear for, you know, what's happening around the world and how do I how do I fit in it and how do I, you know, how how do I be effective and what I want to be in inside the world? And it turned into a bit of a a bit of a hustle culture, like just going and going and going and going to the point where your body actually says no and you have to stop. So I think if you can feel yourself pushing, I'd just invite you to think about why you're pushing and actually what would it be like if you just stopped? What would happen if you just stopped? Because I, I had to do that just recently. My um my pushing led me to having a very, very uh, hard mental space. Like I, my thoughts were terrible. I couldn't, getting out of bed got really, really difficult. Sitting in front of my computer would send me to tears. It was just, and so, and I was looking at that thinking, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And it was actually because I just needed to stop and I needed to take stock of what I was forcing myself into. So um, if anybody, because I know that that's, that's kind of the buzz that everybody's on at the moment. Everybody's so tired because they've been pushing and pushing and pushing. So if that is happening, you know, I'd, I'd just like people to take stock for, you know, even if it's for a couple of days, just see if you can stop and see and see what happens and just breathe for a little bit. I'm sure it'll be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Because um, not everyone is designed to go, go, go all the mm. time. And we did do some episodes previously around my one of my favorite topics, human design. Um, and some people do have more capacity to keep going, but even the generators, which is me, we do need to rest and stop sometimes. Mm. And I think also for everybody, making sure we're in alignment and doing doing something that, that either lights us up or that comes easily or effortlessly. And that's when the invitations and opportunities come in. We don't yeah. have to make the invitations and opportunities happen. We just have to be on path doing what we love or resting, like you said. So mm. it was that your experience. Did you have some invitations and opportunities come your way when you did stop? I did. I did. I was about ready to uh, to change direction completely. I was going to go get a new qualification. I was. I was just. I was done with all of my voice stuff because for the last three years I have been working so hard to try and make my business work, or you know, get more voiceover jobs, or you know, all of that sort of stuff. And it led to that point where I just had to stop. And because I stopped and just sat, I think I sat for about. And I'm very, I'm, I, I will admit, I'm very lucky that I am able to do so. I, um, I stopped for about two and a half weeks. I just no, nothing. I did nothing unless it was absolutely essential. And, um, and once I'd done that, my my mind had the opportunity to clear up a little bit, and stuff started coming in. And as it started to come in, I actually felt like I had the energy and the capacity to respond to it. If that stuff had to come in the couple of weeks prior, I would have looked at it cried and then not answered it <laughs> that would have been the order that things had gone in so um yeah absolutely that that's exactly what's happened for me just recently the the thought of stopping and not trying to control mm. everything in my life meant that something could actually turn up for me rather than me having to force it yeah and it, it was um it was a it was a nice little um oh, it was awful but it was a lovely little thing to go through <laughs> 
Great in hindsight. (laughs) And our voice, of course, has the power to say yes or no. So when Mm. invitations or opportunities come in, you know, via email or someone calling you or bumping into someone and they offer something, we don't Mm. have to say yes. Did you find yourself saying more confidently saying no to things that weren't in alignment? Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that so much easier now because I used to think it was like a well, if something turns up, you should say yes to it. Like, why would you say no? Like, you know, what you don't, you're not in the position to say no. Just say yes. And actually, by uh, by saying no to things, like, like you know, take your time to think about it. And um, gut instincts are usually pretty good, but you know, we live in a world where we have to think about our realities and our finances and our, you know, our kids and all those things. And um, and it's good to think about, but the more confidently you say no to things, the more confidently you can say yes to things when you do really, really want them. Yay, the power of the voice. All right, Mm. I'm going to ask you, what is one thing you've done in the past year, Tessa, where you truly upped your brave? I didn't give up. And even though I said that I nearly gave up and went and did a a different thing, I, I, every time something didn't work out, I problem solved. And I think... You know, me in the past, I I might have just gone, oh, well, this is just rubbish and nothing's happening and I can't do anything and and it would have stopped me as a person. I think um, what I've really learned to do just recently is that when something doesn't go my way is to make a new plan, make a new plan, keep changing. Because I used to think that everything was so, it'll happen like this and then this will happen and then this will happen. And uh, the rude awakening I've gotten just recently is that that is absolutely not how it works. And you need to be fluid with things so that you can actually make different choices and not feel like the world is going to crumble around you. So that's that's what I've been what I've been doing is not feeling so weighed down mm. by things not going the way that I hoped they would and going, actually, no, that's OK. I can problem solve around that. I can do something different. I can try this option. I can email this person. I can. That's that's how I've been doing it just recently, which is quite nice. It seems really simple, but it's um, it's quite a good mindset shift to be like, OK, that didn't work. Let's try something new. So it sounds like that together with allowing yourself to rest, which you did recently, is mm. has been so helpful, which is, again, it's upping your brave. Allowing yourself to rest is actually courageous. Yeah. Oh, huge. Because, like, you know, in, in, our day, in our day and age, if you're not hustling, if you're not pushing, if you're not, what value do you have? And, you know, and that's that's the I think it's a terrible misconception we have and that it's something we need to move away from. It's so valuable to sit and rest. But when we do it, we often feel like failures or like we're not contributing or, you know, all of the, the host of things that come alongside that. So, yeah, actually, that would that would be the other component of my um, I was going to say brave upping. My brave upping <laughs> just recently is actually just resting because we often don't give ourselves permission to and it's so hard. It's so hard to do it. But once you've done it, stuff starts turning up. Yay. Well, for our listeners, if that if that feels right for you at the moment, permission to rest, then mm. definitely go for that. By the way, I do have a hashtag, hashtag up your brave. So awesome. if you pop that in anywhere, Instagram <laughs> or Facebook, you're going to find all sorts of cool posts and videos and things. Um, bucket list. What is one thing on your bucket list, something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime mm. that possibly the Up Your Brave Reality Check Radio community can help you to do? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, what would I like to do? Oh, so that's my thinking sound. I um, I do bubble lips when I think. It's probably not great for a... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I wanted you to do maybe do some warm up activities for us. How do we warm up ours? <laughs> um, that well, that's one of them. That's that's a really yeah. good one. Uh, I think like, part of part of my goals is to um, 
I actually, I, I would really, really love to be the voice of, you know, like on on a child's children's show or like on a in a film and like and and doing those character voices and doing acting because acting and 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 voice, are, you know, two of my my major passions. So that's always been something I've been I've been reaching for because I just think it's I just think it's the coolest job un, un, under the sun. So um, that's always been a goal of mine. But you know, other bucket list sort of things are. Uh, writing a book I don't know how the audience can help me with that but I would like to write a book <laughs> well I'm going to write it down we're putting it out there putting it out to Fabulous. the audience yeah. putting it out to the universe um voice over for a children's show or something like that yeah. like a character in a show how or cool a movie or a film we'll put yeah. it out there um and then of course your book amazing okay what is coming up for you in the next six months or so and how can we connect with you online Cool. What's coming up for me in the next six months is um, is more coaching, which is really fun. So um, I'm doing more voice coaching and uh, and doing it with some teenagers as well as doing it with adults. So that's that's really exciting. But you know, things have changed for me so much just recently that it's hard to it's hard to know where I'll be in six months. Things have just um, they've completely upended. So that's that's the little bit of the goal that I would like to be doing. But um, where you can find me, I'm on a I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram. I'm sort of on Facebook, but it's gotten um, it's gotten a bit confusing just recently. So I've kind of left that one. But um, I'm at Tessa Livingston Voice across all things. I have a website as well. So TessaLivingstonVoice.com. You can find me there. And you can also find me on the Good Talkers podcast. So the Good Talkers podcast is myself, Deanna Cooney from Australia, Ashton Helgen from LA, and Jordan Greville, who is our producer from New Zealand. And we sit and talk all things voiceover voice. Uh, We talk about like business strategies for like being a voiceover artist and just good human stuff um we also try to make sounds that other people can make that we can't make so it's quite fun (laughs) that sounds so awesome okay Mm. so tessa livingston voice Mm -hmm. and we're going to spell it so tessa t-e-s-s-a livingston l-i-v-i-n-g-s-t-o-n Yes, correct. Voice. Okay, so people can look that up. You can go and follow her on Instagram or TikTok. um, And you can have a listen at the Good Talkers podcast. Is that Spotify and Apple and all the places? Yep, Yep. that's that's everywhere. And we also have a website as well. So if you want to check us out, it's exactly the same. The Good Talkers podcast at dot com. Nice. Amazing. Hey, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to share with our audience today? Look, I've had so much fun sitting and talking about this stuff. You know, it's it's just nice fundamental human things. You know, we forget that our voice is not a given of the body. It's actually something that we can work on and we can play with and we can make stronger and we can be more in touch with. You know, it doesn't just, it's not just a muscle. It's part of our spirit. It's part of our soul. It's part of, um, it's a, and it's a part of our physical body. So it needs to be treated with a little bit more gravity, I think. And if if anybody wants to, um, to have a play with it, feel free to um, to reach out to me because it's always it's always a good thing to do and it's such a holistic practice. So I'm sure you'll absolutely love it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tessa. Everyone, you've been listening to Tessa Livingston. We've been talking about trusting your authentic voice and mental health awareness. Thanks, Tessa. Thank you. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So amazing to talk to Tessa Livingston. She's a voiceover artist podcaster, content creator, and speaker. And I love how she mentioned the internal and the external voice and really reminding people that you don't have to say something. You know, sometimes just having it in your head 
is enough. And But there will be times, of course, when we do feel called to up our brave and speak out loud or question something. And I think that's, it's all good. It's all, all good. You can listen to more of Tessa on the goodtalkerspodcast.com. As mentioned, she's also on Instagram and TikTok. It's Tessa Livingston Voice. And in fact, just now, I went and had a look at her um, Instagram page. She's been very busy doing some nail nail painting as well as other things. But if you click the, the link in Instagram, it's a link tree link. So basically, it's a one-click wonder. You click that link. It takes you to a menu of... Um, offerings for those business. So for those of you that are business owners out there, Linktree is something that I think is just so helpful um, as a way to display your offerings. Anyway, if you click that on her link, it tells you about her webinars, her free resource, the ultimate vocal health workbook. That is especially valuable if you're a teacher or somebody who talks like a lot or talks all day. Um, This will give you some amazing tips and exercises to maintain your vocal health. She also has offerings here, one-on-one vocal coaching, intro to breathing for vocal stamina, um, and she has the link to the Good Talkers podcast. And if you want to hire her as a voiceover artist, you can click that link too. So that's a great place to have a look. All right. So um, love to hear from you guys. If you tend to have some feedback on what we've done so far today, we've talked to Kath Vincent about public speaking. And we've also just spoken to Tessa Livingston on your authentic voice and mental health awareness. So we would love to hear from you. You can send a text into 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. And if you just tuned in and you missed my reminder that the RCR Foundations Club has launched a number of perks and bonuses. You can pay per month or you can dive in and save a little bit and and pay for the annual and get some multiple perks. You can check that out on realitycheck.radio slash members. Thanks for tuning in to RCR. Reality Chick Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. And also, our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show with your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, that's me, here on Reality Check Radio. Today, we've got our very first returning guest. Um, A few months back, I interviewed Karen Tui Boys, and we talked about homeschooling, and she's back again today by popular demand. She's back again today. Uh, We're going to dive into a different topic, but still related. We're going to be talking about study smart, what the school system doesn't teach, in other words, how to learn Um, Welcome to the show, Karen. 
Oh, I'm excited to be your first returnee. Mm-hmm. Well, it's exciting to have you back. Um, for those of you that haven't met Karen, you haven't heard of her, Karen Tui Boys, based in lovely Wellington. Um, Karen is a champion for lifelong learning and is on a mission to transform education globally. Described as an educational alchemist, a conscious creator, and a playful priestess, she turns research into practice practical strategies which positively impact teaching and learning. She's a multi-award-winning speaker, author, and businesswoman, and an expert in effective teaching, learning, study skills, motivation, and positive thinking. She's the CEO of Spectrum Education, principal of online uh, Spectrum Online Academy, and the author of 11 books. I remember that from last time. She loves empowering teachers, parents, and students, and is the wife to one and the mother to two young adults. Karen was named the Global Evolutionary Woman of the Year in 2022. Well, that is quite quite the uh, quite the path of learning and achievements that you've had. Um, you know, it's so interesting. It's a hard time for our kids right now. The whole learning situation, some of the stuff they're being taught that I'm not sure if I want them to learn. Um, so, I guess my first question before we dive into all that is you are my returning guest. How has the response been to your first interview that we did where we talked about homeschooling? Uh, thanks, Natalie. Um, absolutely overwhelming. I've had so many calls and so many uh, people uh, reach out uh, who said they were really inspired. So I'm very humbled by that. But also I've been interviewed on the radio many, many times uh, around the world and it's probably one of the best responses I've had. So Yay. Gotta love the Reality Check Radio listeners. Um, you know, I think the title of that, if people are searching for it, I keep saying homeschooling. It's, it was actually called, I believe, Why the School System is Broken and How to Fix It. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. So if you guys want to check that out, you can go to realitycheck.radio and either click the replays link or if you just type in, probably in the search might be easier, Karen, which is K-A-R-E-N space Tui, T-U-I. And that'll probably do the trick, actually. The surname is B-O-Y-E-S, but that's probably the easiest. Otherwise, I do have a replay page as well on the Up Your Brave show, and you can scroll through and look for that. She's a lovely lady with glasses and always with a heart around her neck. <laughs> and one inside as well. And Yeah, well, you'd hope so, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> so let's talk about studying. You know, it's it's. I love that it's a good time of year. I know my daughter's got some exams coming up. And I know a lot of the students are, some of these results are really important for them. First of all, in, before we get into how to study, why, if not, if some schools are teaching it, but why aren't all schools teaching our children how to study properly, effectively? <laughs> oh, I wish I knew the answer to that, Natalie. Um, I, I sort of do. Uh, it's because our schools are focused on content uh, and not process. So uh, if you ask a primary school teacher, what do they teach? They'll say children. If you ask a secondary school teacher, what do you teach? They'll say maths, science, horticulture, and they say subject. So they're not focused on learning and they're not focused on the children. And it's not their fault. Uh, the school system is broken, as we talked about it last time. And uh, school is based on what you know. 
And so the way to get through school is to be able to pass the tests. And somewhere along the line, this started in the 1850s, but somewhere in the line, it hasn't been self-corrected because in the 1900s, yes, we needed people to be on the farms, we needed them in the factories, we needed them to be workers, and the school system was set up to uh, create a workforce. Uh, And the way they did that was to fail 50% of people and pass 50% of people. And you may have heard, and your listeners may have heard of the bell curve. And so the bell curve is a curve of normal distribution. And so you'll find that there are what they call outliers. There are people who are on the extreme of this bell curve. But the problem is uh, it's about normal distribution and there's nothing normal about being a human. The only place that is normal is the uh, dial on my washing machine. (laughs) So what is a normal human being? There is no normal. And so... If you've got a really high-performing class, they're going to be pulled back down because they're going to put them on the bell curve and say you can't be as good as everybody else because we need you to be normal, which is not even a thing. Uh, And if you've got a low-performing class, they're going to go up a little bit. And so we used to call this scaling. They now call it something else. Uh, But, yeah, so so teachers are focused on getting kids through the exams but they're not focused on teaching them how because they say they haven't got time and they haven't. The curriculum is huge. It's it's big. And uh, taking time to actually teach children how to learn, which would seem to make sense because then they could go through the curriculum faster, but they don't have time (laughs) to do that. And so I've been doing this for 29, nearly 30 years, and I thought I'd be doing it for a year. Seriously thought I'd be teaching teachers, teaching parents, teaching students how children learn for a year, and then we would be able to, uh, to I'd be able to retire. I don't know. I'd be able to do something else, but I'm still doing it because it's just no capacity for schools to be able to do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, teachers are overburdened, that's for sure. And the expectations and the curriculum and things seem to keep changing with what they're expected to do and depending on the school, how they're expected to do it. Open plan, not open plan, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So thinking of the the kids, the students, what are some things that like if I was, let's say, 16 right now, what are some things that would help me to well, I guess not just study because I don't just want to pass. Like I actually do want to learn. So how to study and, and um, you know, yes, I want to pass, but I want to also learn. What what would you advise? Okay. So a couple of things. Um, one, of, one of my own quotes, it's weird to quote yourself, I know, but is to say uh, passing exams has got little to do with intelligence. It's got everything to do with strategy and technique. So first of all, we need to buff bust that myth for our kids that only the clever kids pass. It's just that the people who appear clever have strategies and the people who appear not clever don't have strategies or are not using the right strategies. So it is all about strategy and technique. Next, students need to know that when they, uh, learning happens with three parts, input, when we input data into the brain and the brain uh, makes it make sense, output, when we see how much we can retrieve and then relearn because when we input and output, there's always going to be a gap. So uh, what happens is when students 
when a school, a school decides how we're going to output by a test. And so that's how a school, many schools, particularly secondary schools, work out that you know something because you've tested on it, right? And the trouble with this is that students get seven out of 10 in their test and they go, oh, I passed. And maybe 50% was a pass in the 20th century. Maybe it was definitely a pass in the 19th century. But in the 21st century, 50% is not enough. Imagine, imagine if the air traffic controller at your local airport thought 50% was a pass. We'll get 50% of our planes landed. In fact, the truth is if you're an air traffic controller, 99.9% is not enough. It's 100%, 100% of the time. Your mechanic, think about going to your mechanic. What if your mechanic thought 50% was enough? Well, uh, you know, I'll just tighten four of three of the bolts instead of uh, six of them. Uh, and we'll see how your tire, your wheels go. You know, it's not okay. Yeah. Uh, think about your hairdresser. Percent <laughs> will be okay. We'll just cut half of it. <laughs> well, to be fair, when I turned my when I dyed my hair red for the first time, it was it did not look like the picture I'd shown her. It, I was like, this is brown. What I was going for was copper. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, when we get seven out of ten, most of the kids go, woohoo! I passed, and stick that in the drawer. It is not a pass. Um, And uh, if we want to develop lifelong learners, it's always about going back and going, what can I learn from this? Output, uh, having a test just shows you what you need to do next. So uh, seven out of 10, what we want our kids to go do is go, oh, which three did I get wrong and learn that? Because Mm. of the hundreds of study tips I actually teach, the most important study tip is, Learn what you don't know. Mm. That's it. So let me give you an example. My daughter comes home. She's young. She comes home and she has 10 spelling words. And she says, mom, the teacher says I need to write them all out 10 times a night. So uh, I said to her, well, how many of them do you know? She shrugs her shoulders and says, I don't know. So I say, well, let me test you. So she's about eight years old. I test her on her 10 words. She knows nine of them. I don't know how or why she knows nine, but she can spell nine of those words. So I said to her, how many of them do you need to learn? And she goes, one. And I said, well, just do one. And then she says, but the teacher mm-hmm. said you need to do write them all out. Now, here's the problem. Writing words out that you already know is a waste of time. Total waste of time because you already can do it. You just want to focus on the ones you can't do or the ones you don't know. So here's what our students do when they go home to study without being taught. They go and focus on all the things they already can do because it makes them feel good. I want to ask your listeners and I want to ask you, Natalie, are you a list writer? No. Oh, okay. So you're not a list writer, but I bet many of your uh, audience are list writers. So here's uh, what I'm going to ask the audience. Uh, have you ever written a list? And I mean, I, I'm a grocery list, right? You know, I'm a grocery list writer. I mean, a to-do list writer. Okay, got you. Okay, you don't have to be. But you see, to-do list writers write their to-do list, and then they go to cross something off the list that they've already done, right? Because there's a sense of satisfaction when you cross something off a list. 
And it actually sends chemicals through the brain. It's actually neuroscience. But anyway, uh, what happens is they go to cross something off their list and it's not on the list because they've done something that wasn't on the list. So Natalie, can you guess what they do? Indeed. And I would do it too, probably. Write it in and tick it off. You write it on the list just so you can cross it off. No logical reason for this, but physiological reason because it makes you feel good. So this is why students like going over what they already know. Gosh, I'm clever. Gosh, I'm smart. I know this. And it reaffirms their ability and their learning. However, well, their abilities. Um, And it reaffirms in their brain that they may, if they think they're smart, that they are smart. However, it's not learning. Learning is learning what you don't know. And here's the challenge. When you start learning what you don't know, the brain starts to go, this is hard. This is difficult. What if I can't do this? What if they find out I'm not as smart as they think I am? What if I disappoint my parents? And this is a real uh, fear of many of our kids, that they'll disappoint people who are, uh, you know, helping them and supporting them. In fact, it's backed up by a statistic in this country that of the children who uh, work towards scholarship exams, so above level three, they can, in NCA, they can do scholarship exams. Over half of the students who have paid and done the scholarship exams all year do not turn up for the exam because they would rather get a not attempted than a not achieved. Mm. Fascinating. So they're scared of making mistakes and we need to be able to turn that around and say, because here's another myth that we were taught, that learning is fun. Go and have fun. School will be fun. Learning is not always fun. It's hard and it's difficult and you need the strategies to do that. So do you want some strategies now? I do want some strategies, but first I want to mention what came into my mind was expectations and labels, because sometimes early in school, at year whatever, probably primary school, some kids realize or get told and firmly believe, you know, I'm dumb or I'm smart or something in between. And I think sometimes that's right. Like that can play a part in how they expect themselves to go. What I wanted to ask you, you talked about how You know, if we just focus on the things we already know, we feel like we're so smart and we know it, but it doesn't help. Is it a good strategy to do that as a little bit of a primer to get you in the mood to do some things that you're good at and then move on to the hard stuff? Or are we really just wasting time? Probably just wasting time. So uh, let me share one of my uh, favorite strategies right now. I have hundreds, but this is a favorite strategy right now. And my kids, my students are using them right now. And that is flashcards. Uh, everybody, you know, pretty much knows what flashcards are. You have the question on one side, the answer on the other, or the word in one language and the other language, in English on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so flashcards are great, but you see, most kids don't know what to do with their flashcards. So what you need is three boxes or three piles or three envelopes. And what you do with your flashcards is on day one, they all start in envelope one and you test yourself on them. And you end up with a pile of the ones you know and the ones you don't know. Now, the ones you don't know stay in box one. The ones you know go to box two, right? Then fast forward to day two. Day two, you start with box two. So you're right. You start with the ones that you are familiar with. And if you get them right, you put them in box three. If you get them wrong, they go back into box one. Then you work on box one and you're trying to move all of them from box one to box two. 
Now, fast forward to day three, and you don't need to worry about uh, box three anymore. You just start again with box two. Can you move any of those to box three? Do any of them go back to box one? And then you focus on box one. And when you get to day three, here is when you actually have to do some explicit learning. And so maybe you need to use mnemonics uh, to be able to remember it. So uh, maybe it's a little phrase or a uh, story you're going to tell yourself to remember. Maybe it's um, you're going to draw a picture on a diagram. Maybe you're going to make up a little rap or rhyme or song about it. Uh, there could be hundreds of ways that you might deal with those ones that you don't know at this point. And so you keep doing this process until you get them all to box three. And then when they're at box three, you stick them all back in box one and see if it, you still remember them. Now, this is a scientific uh, strategy called spaced repetition. And uh, so we know that after 24 hours, the brain will forget 70% of information. We then know after another three days, it will forget. So we'll only remember, sorry. Uh, let me try that again. I'm going to say that again. After 24 hours, you can remember 90% of what you have learned. So you can remember most of it the day after. You forget 10% within 24 hours. After three days, though, it goes down to uh, 30% recall, 70% forgotten. So this is why going over and over and over it. By the way, parents, this is why when your child comes home from school and you say, what did you do at school today? They go, nothing. I've worked in 41 different countries and every kid in those countries say they do nothing at school. It's the same curriculum worldwide. Partly it's because they can't remember what they did this morning because there's been so much other information piled in on top. So spaced repetition uh, with the boxes and the flashcards is one of my favorite strategies. Oh, I like that. And I was following along as you were describing it with all the boxes and I was, I was could kind of see it. Um, I think that would be a really helpful strategy. And is that something we can use regardless of the age of child? Because I can see that working for all sorts of uh, subjects and all sorts of ages. Absolutely. Uh, because it's spaced repetition. And we, again, we know from neuroscience that uh, the more times you go over and over and over it uh, in different ways, and it, the key is in different ways as well, not always the same way, but in different ways, then uh, your brain is going to remember it. Because we tend to think the brain is, has these uh, filing cabinets or little boxes or little spaces that it puts information. But actually, when you recall a memory, it recalls it from sometimes up to 100, 200 different places in the brain. We think it's just from one place, but it's not. Did you know that uh, capital letters are stored in a different place in the brain than lowercase letters? Vowels are stored in a different place in the brain than consonants. So when you look at a word or you retrieve a word, it actually takes lots of different parts of the brain to retrieve that. So uh, yes, the more this works for everything. I love it. And I always learn so much when I do these interviews. I always learn something new from all my guests, which I love. Do you have another practical tip? Oh, um, that, yeah. Like, I, you know, if you can give us another one that we can use that we can explain to our child or just try it out on them if we're trying, if they let us, you know, sometimes they don't let us help them study, but if they do, <laughs> what can we, Absolutely. what else can we do? Um, uh, Distraction-free environment. Uh the brain can't multitask when we're learning. And the question that parents ask me the most is what about them listening to their music? 
Now, some children can listen to music and some children can't listen to music. And you can't tell which child that is. They have to make this call, but they need to understand. For instance, if the child is singing away to the music, they are not able to focus on what they're learning. Unless, of course, the music was about what they're learning. But if it's random music, their favorite songs, the brain cannot be singing and learning something different at the same time. However, if they put the music on and they don't hear it, perfectly fine. Now, some of your listeners, Nat, are saying, what's the point of having the music if I can't hear it? Those people shouldn't have the music on (laughs) Um, because it's distracting. You see, what it becomes is what we call white noise. And white noise is noise that we, it's in the background, but we don't hear it. Have you ever been in the kitchen and the fridge stops whirring and it suddenly goes deathly silent and you're like, what happened? And then you realize, oh, the fridge, you, you didn't even know it was making a noise, but when it stops, you notice. And so this is what happens with music for many of our kids. They've grown up with sound in the background at all times. They actually can't deal with silence, many of them. So we actually need to be able to... Um, share with them this research and say, you know, if you've got the music and you're singing to it, turn it off. If you've got the music and you don't hear it, perfectly fine. Well, that is a great way to measure. And I think applicable, uh, helpful, if people are open to it, um, in the workplace as well, because there will be some people that are like, oh, I always have the music going and I'm singing away. It's like, do you find it hard to concentrate? Do you feel like you never get all your work done? Um, interesting. We playing in our office. And the thing, I don't notice it. But what I do notice at a subconscious level is if the same song gets played twice. And I'll turn to Mindy in my office and say, we've had that song already. I didn't even know I was listening to the music. So it is very powerful. The brain is attending to it, even if you're not sure. So you've got to be careful that if if you're finding it hard to concentrate, turn it off and see. Or use classical music. And the music we recommend is Baroque music. Mm -hmm. Handel, Vivaldi, Corelli, Pachelbel, that sort of uh, era. What about AirPods? You know, when, isn't what they're called? You know, when they have them like right in their ear. And... Which I'm concerned about kids having those in their ears a lot too much personally. So if they are going to listen to music, like let's say they're a kid that's not singing along and the music is helpful, like AKA white noise, is it better for them to have it kind of on like a mini, like a Yui boom type thing, but not too loud rather than in their actual ears? I think you'll find that uh, it probably doesn't make a lot of difference. Uh, If they're using it correctly, it won't be too loud in the earbuds anyway. So uh, you want it just quietly in the background, just as a background filler. So that's what you want. Another key uh, I want to just say, Natalie, in the um, environment is, and parents will be, uh, this is the only tip I teach that parents are the opposite. And for if your child is under 25, they need low lighting, not no lighting, but low lighting. And so as adults, we're over 25 and we have a high light need. And this is the research from Kenneth and Rita Dunn. And uh, they discovered that 70% of our kids have low light needs, whereas 70% of adults have a high light need. So we often put the 100 watt, I don't know what they're called now, this new uh, 
you know, way that we measure light bulbs, but the 100 watt bulb or even the 150, so it's bright in their bedrooms or wherever they're studying. And actually that's one of the worst things we can do. We want low lighting 40 or 60 watt bulbs. Uh, so that much lower lighting. Oh, so good. So helpful. Um, and just, it's like little, some of it is little tweaks that we wouldn't think about with the music, the intensity of the lighting, um, but they can actually make a big difference. So this is really, really helpful. Um, I'm going to move on in a moment, but if you have another one on the tip of your tongue, you're welcome to share. Um, I actually just want to say this, that many of our students are coming into practice exams or um, whatever they call them in the school. Uh, these uh, They call them mocks, mocks. Mock, mock exams. Yes. So uh, if you ask them why they're taking the mock exams, they will say, in case I need a derived grade. Now, I don't know where this has come from, perhaps possibly Christchurch earthquake, because that was one of the first times in New Zealand that those derived grades became very, very important, that they could take their mock exams and go, oh, this is what they would have done. And so this has become part of the culture, but that's not why you take a mock exam. The reason you take a mock exam is to find out what you don't know so you can learn it so you can pass the real exam. Mm. That's the reason. But Every kid in this country tells me I'm taking them because I need derived grades, if I need a derived grade, which also, by the way, for our mental health of our kids means I've done the mock exams, I did okay, so I won't need to do the real exams. So they uh, uh, opt out or they get sick and they go, oh, good, I've got derived grades, but actually they're not going to be nearly as good and they haven't had that learning opportunity that they could have. So terminology-wise, derived grade, just for, for myself and, and listeners. So basically it's kind of a backup plan. Like if they, for some, whatever reason, natural disaster or otherwise cannot take the real exam, they've got it. That's kind of where it came from, but you're saying now it's kind of being used not, not for that exact purpose. Well, that's, well, the practice exams were always originally mm. about finding out what you don't know. So you can learn them, right. learn what you don't know, but now, yes, uh, students are thinking, well, I've got that backup. And, you know, when we've got a backstop, we don't necessarily try as hard moving forward. Yeah, I think you're so spot on with that. Um, yeah, and they do need, they do need, you know, opportunities to practice where it's not the end of the world if it's not an amazing mark. And like you said, just bringing the focus back to what is it that I don't know um, and what do I need to learn? I love that. Um, okay, I'm going to go in a moment to the four questions that I ask all my guests. Um, and, but I would love to ask you about that card that you showed me before we started recording. You've got some special study card. Can you talk about that briefly? Yes. Yeah, so it's actually a series of four cards that have uh, study hacks on them. So brain uh, ideas of how to learn a language, how to uh, study um, uh, something that's challenging. So it's just got lots and lots of different strategies and it explains the strategy so uh, we'll put a link down below or you can just email me karen at spectrumeducation.com or info at spectrumeducation.com. But I need to let you know, I think it costs $7. Yeah. So we'll just put a little cost on it because there's a lot of time and effort to develop. These things are beautiful, they're colorful. But I do want to tell you about a free, quick free resource. And that is, I've got an app that is completely free and it's called iStudyAlarm. So mm -hmm. I, the letter I, study, alarm, all one word. Uh, it's on all the platforms. It's completely free. There are no in-app purchases. There's no ads. It's pure app. And it's got 27 study tips within it. It's got 
break ideas. It's got exam tips. And what it does is study. If kids are having challenges, it times them to study for 20 minutes and then gives them a five-minute break. And then a little can, Pomodoro. Yep, Pomodoro. Yes. That is amazing. That's, I think, the, thank you so much for mentioning that. So just going back to the card, is it actually a card or is it just a digital download they printed oh, themselves? Oh, they are digital downloads. Okay. Yes. Just want to make sure expectation management. Um, and then with the app, it, I study alarm app and that is free and it's got all sorts of goodies and, and 27 study tips. Amazing. Yes. Thank you. Well, as for everyone listening, I hope this helps. I mean, I really want we're here. That's what my show is about. Motivation, inspiration and empowerment, most of all. And as parents, you know, we want to empower our kids. We need to let them make mistakes. Right. Um, But we also want to give them the tools to succeed and to do their best and to not, of course, live by labels like I'm dumb or I'm not good at exams. It's like, yeah, but you just haven't been shown how. So hopefully some of these tips, strategies, hacks that Karen's talked about today are going to be really helpful for your family. Um, Karen, I'd love it if you could share with us, what is one thing you've done in the last year, maybe different from last time, where you truly upped your brave? I'm right in the middle of it right now. I am applying uh, and tendering for a huge contract, uh, which would uh, see um, some significant changes in education because my uh, my tagline is uh well, my goal is to transform education globally. And so I am tendering for an opportunity. It is huge. I'm swimming around in this big container. Um, I am learning so much, uh, but I absolutely know the team I've pulled together, if we can pull this off, uh, if we can get the tender, we can truly make a bigger impact uh, in education right now in this country. So yes, I'm very excited about that and scaring the pants off me. It sounds good. Well, you know, it is needed now more than ever. I think so many people are concerned about what our kids are being taught, what the kids are not being taught. Um, so that it so definitely keep us posted. If you do have an update, I can I can share it in an upcoming episode. Um, and this might lead into the next one, but bucket list, is there anything we can help you to achieve? What is one thing on your bucket list um, that's something you want to do, be, or experience that we might be able to help you do? Absolutely. Well, it's going to be the same as last time because it's my biggest bucket list item right now. And so two years ago, I started my online school, Spectrum Online Academy, Kids Beeman Every Day. And uh, I am really looking to grow that school because we know we've got a model that's working. We know that kids are learning and they're progressing faster than they would in the traditional school system. They are learning life skills. I've got students who are taking board games that they've designed to market. Uh, you know, we've got we we just did a project with our uh, some of our kids to design their uh, find their dream car. And uh, Excel spreadsheets galore. You should see what they've created. Just amazing. Uh, but r- like we really teach them real life strategies and skills that they're going to need out in the in the world. And so I am looking for investors, for sponsors, for people to, for teachers to uh, you know come on board and help us grow. So if you know someone whose uh, child isn't uh, doing well in school or is anxious or is uh, being bored in school, uh, let us know. We'd love to talk, but really what we're needing is investors to help us grow this. Okay. And just to clarify, so it's an, it's your online academy. It's not like a study, extra study thing. It's actual school um, that they can do if kids. So it kind of organized homeschool, but the parents don't have to teach it. You guys will teach it. 
and you're yeah. all trained teachers and everything. Parents have to be involved, but uh, absolutely. So okay. we teach the curriculum. Yes. Amazing. And I'm sure you'll get a lot of people more, more than ever before reaching out to you for that. And thank you for every, for all that you're doing in this area. Um, basically giving kids and, and families so many, a different option when they're concerned with what's going on in school, school, um, what is coming up for you? And once again, I know you mentioned it, but how can we reach out? How can people connect? Uh, probably the most interesting thing for parents right now is, uh, in October, we have our parenting summit online summit, and it's about parenting for resilience, confidence, and independence. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Roots and Wings. How do we give our children those roots and that stability? And how do we give them wings so they can fly? The truth is, Natalie, I'm a total fraud because my children are 21 and 23 and they haven't left home. And the book is all about how to get them to leave home. Uh, so total fraud. They just won't go. Uh, but anyway, um, the Parenting Summit is on early October during the school holidays. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I interview parenting experts and Natalie's been on it before. Uh parenting experts from all around the world about resilience, confidence, and independence, and give you skills uh, to give your students, uh, children skills to be able to even work with your relationship better, uh, whether that's with your significant other or your child, uh, learning strategies, the whole lot. It's a very exciting summit. So, Okay, uh, so how do they sign up for that? Is that available now to sign up for or not yet? It will be in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, so it will be in a couple of weeks. uh, by the time this airs, maybe a week. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes, but just go to spectrumeducation.com. You will find everything uh, about us there. If you're a teacher, you'll find the Teachers Matter. If you're a parent, you'll find the Parents tab. If you are a, a student, you'll find the Study Smart information. Uh, so there's lots and lots and lots of information there. Amazing. It's so good. Um, Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us again on the Up Your Brave show. Any final words before we wrap? I think if you've got kids going into exams soon, just uh, be calm because if you get stressed around it, it's going to stress them even more. So make sure they've got that, that positive attitude, encourage them to do the hard. To I often say you've got to get go through hard to get to easy and so to do the hard and uh, put in I've talked about the new f word the new f word is effort (laughs) start with f it's got two f's in it but put the effort in which is what they often don't want to do put the effort in and it will be worth it Amazing. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We've been talking to Karen Tui Boys all about study smart from spectrumeducation.com. Thanks, Karen. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. Always fun to talk to Karen Tui boys. In fact, um, one of the RCR at our meeting that we had last week, one of the people said, oh, that was my favorite interview. The Karen Tui boys, her initial interview. So definitely check that out. If you haven't heard that already, you can check it out on the replays page. Um, And today we were talking about study smart, what the school system doesn't teach you, um, how to learn and how to study. 
It's a, such a relevant topic, and that's why we we aim to do this interview at this exact time. Hopefully, we can help some of you that are empowering your teens or your tweens to study for whatever tests or mock exams they've got coming up. It can be a quite a stressful time, of course, for people in high school thinking ahead to what the future holds. And I know it's a lot of pressure. So hopefully some of those tips are going to be helpful for you and them. Uh, in this interview, we talked about how schools are focused on content, but not process. We talked about using flashcards, something that I used when my kids were really small, learning how to read. But um, flashcards can be used um, with a spaced repetition, and they can be used to help people to learn um, and then focus on the things that they don't know, rather than, as Karen's saying, focusing on what often people do is they focus on what they do know, because it makes them feel good, but it doesn't actually help them to learn as much as they can in a short time. Um, and like she said, having a test so shows us what we need to do next. And I think that's such a great attitude. Now, in this interview, Karen mentioned that she's got a parenting summit coming up in October. So if you go and look her up, you can learn all about that and the other offerings that she has. Or if you know somebody whose child is really not doing well in the mainstream system and they want to look at homeschooling, she does have her Spectrum Education Academy. You can find all the info, Spectrum education.com. Um, and the app that she mentioned was the iStudy Alarm app with 27 study tips. One of my previous guests, Marie McLean, who's an amazing individual, very inspiring, and she wrote a book called The No BS Guide to Getting Sober. And she's actually, um, we're going to do a little, a little flashback for you in a moment. So if you missed that episode, you want to get a little bit of inspiration. It's not just inspiration for people that are wanting to get sober. It's just, just some great life guidance, some great wisdom that she has to share. And she also has a promotion, like a special deal on her book at the moment. So if anyone in your life um, is struggling with sobriety and you would love to gift them a book, um, or if maybe it's you listening and you want, you're ready, you're ready to make a, sh make a shift in your life. Um, she's got a, a very long link that she sent me, but what I'll do is I'll put it on my up your brave with Natalie Cutler Welsh Facebook page. And hopefully we can get it on the RCR Facebook page as well. And that will take you to Spotify where you can get a sweet deal on her ebook and possibly also um, you can order her paperback copy if you prefer mariemclean.com for that. Um, so here's a little flashback, Marie McLean with her insight on the no BS guide to getting sober. So you talk now about being your own guru. Like, why did you choose that as our topic today? What does that mean to you? Okay, so I think for me, uh, it's about you. You're not going to address your drinking um, because a family member drags you to a alcohol and drug counselor. You're not going to address your drinking because a boss says you're going to be fired if you don't. You're going to address your drinking because you feel that if you don't, um, you're not going to reach your potential or be, be the very best mother or the very best person that you can be for yourself. So it's you it's you that ultimately makes that choice. People can lead you to water, but mm. they can't make you drink. And, and that's the whole ethos behind it is all I'm doing in my book is presenting my story and I'm presenting a range of tools for you to pick up and try out because what worked for me might not work for you. So you decide how your sobriety is going to look. 
You decide how your recovery is going to look. But here are the tools that I've found, and here's the research that I've used to see um, a way forward. And so I really don't believe you follow a prescripted format for um, transformation in your life. You do it. It, it, It's yours. Um, But if you keep taking one step forward, all of a sudden things things have changed and you have transformed. And I think I, I like to use the analogy of a of a butter butterfly. Like it doesn't know it's it's breaking out of a shell and turning into a butterfly. It's just incubating and it's just doing what a butterfly does. And I think that's the same. The caterpillar is just eating through the eating through the leaves. It's just taking one step at a time. And then all of a sudden you actually will be on the other side and where you want to go, but it's not um yeah, you, you you've just got to you've just got to take that first step, and the path unfolds as you walk it. It doesn't you can't see the end before you start the process. So that's the bravery that it takes. And you know, if you have that bravery and can take that that first step, the path will unfold, and and you will become your own guru. You're going to pick and choose from whatever's offered what's going to work for you. And I think. Don't give that power to anyone else. You've you've got it, you know, and that's that's the key key message. Great, great message, and so relatable. Whatever people are going through, for some people it won't be this. Um, I imagine, tragically so, and definitely based on some of the stats, that everybody knows someone who not only, as you said, um, has you know hazardous drinking, but actually is or was an alcoholic. I imagine most people would know someone. Um, and so we can relate in some way, whether we're directly affected or not. I would love it if you could share with us a few of these tips. Um, how can someone who wants to tackle their drinking, like they're kind of ready to make some changes, like you said, we can't lead them to water, but if they're ready, what are some things they can do? Yeah, so there's there's a there's a few things that they can do. Um, there is if they if they immediately want to stop. There's a free guided meditation um, on my website that is called You Are Not Your Urge that can help you get through those initial stages. So whether you've planned to go to an AA meeting or whether you've decided to buy my book to help you, whatever it is, if, if if you're absolutely intent, then there's that meditation that can guide you through those first first few steps until you get into the next stage or gone and booked an an, an alcohol and drug counsellor. So that's a takeaway free thing that you can just begin your journey with. Um, And then there are, there's loads of literature, the Quitlet's exploded. So just to um, reference the forward that was written in my book was written by Lotta Dan, who has got three great Quitlet books of her own. Um, Mrs. D's Going Without, Mrs. D's Going Within, and The One O'Clock Myth. So she wrote the forward for my book, and she's just been given a Queen's Honours for her, her service to um, alcoholism and alcoholic, um, towards helping alcoholics. So, yeah, so there's there's loads of literature. Um, and then there is peer support, and that doesn't need to be AA if the God word freaks, you know, the living is out of you. Um there's also the Buddhist recovery network, but the beauty of peer support is that you realize you're not doing this on your own. So um, that I think is really important because if, you, if you've tried to tackle it on your own and you haven't had any success to date or just with a counselor, then maybe that's the component that you might be missing. 
Yeah, exactly. Because some people will have support. Some people will have friends that have been trying to get them to AA for years. Other people just won't have anyone. Like it literally will just come down to them making the decision. And I think also you, there's a lot of Kiwis. We're pretty much like, don't tell me, don't tell me how to do something you're not doing yourself. So it's kind of like, I don't want to hear from someone that doesn't have an alcohol or meth or whatever problem, how to handle my problem. But if you go to a peer support group um, where other people have got the same issue and you see examples of that issue being resolved um, and multiple years of having it resolved, then you're actually looking at a, a success story. And I think that's the absolute value of peer support is they've been where you're going and they can show you the way that they got there. But again, you're your own guru. You pick your own tools. You do it yourself. And you dedicated the book to your brother. How was that for you? Uh, that's a that's a hard question. I think it... it <laughs> Yeah, I just I just hope that um it's it's not in vain, that his life wasn't in vain, and so that um we have a tool here for people um with their own teenagers or their own family, um yeah, where they can I just don't want people going that way uh if they don't have to. So, you know, but again that's 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 your own journey and um my brother he went to rehab a few times, um, but he was never really willing um, to admit the extent of the problem. He always thought he would win. Um, and in the end, you know, it, he didn't. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, just, just that's what the book's about is, is dismantling the wall of denial that you, that you don't even think you've got. So it's a tricky problem. So let's just leave it there with that question. <laughs> It is a, it is a tricky problem and I think I mean I'm I'm very not experienced in this area but I my belief or my understanding is that it's one of the many numbing tactics that people will use in life to not deal with whatever is going on so for example some people will over exercise or they will undereat or they will overeat or they will you know whatever whatever it is right cool. so alcohol drugs i think it is one of the, one of the numbing tactics now obviously some people get into it because it's fun and like you said it was part of the work culture yeah so part of the culture in new zealand and of course i grew up in canada i spent my university high school university years in canada so, you know, we would, you know, go to parties and and have keg parties as we do in Canada. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, so I don't, I can't speak for the, the Canadian um, alcohol problem because I really have no idea, but I know that it is a big issue here in New Zealand. At this point in the show, I also occasionally like to share with you a little sneak peek of what might be coming up in a future episode. Um, I talked earlier to Terry Britt. She's living in America. She's American. Um, And we talked about leading with love and your worthiness quotient. And so she's going to elaborate on that in this little segment that I've selected. Um, Me and my team have selected this little segment for you to get a little bit of an insight. And of course, you can tune in next week to listen to the full interview with Terry Britt. But some good tips here about leading with love. Enjoy. My worthiness quotient started rising, right? And as it started rising, I now was open and receptive to matching energy that showed up as love, that showed up as nurturing, better relationships, being seen, being heard, being valued in every area of my life. So women, 
we keep denying ourselves because this is what we've been programmed to do. And what we're in essence is running a low worthiness question. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know how over the last so many years we've been hearing, put your mask on, like you're on an airplane, put your mask on. First. You know, I mm-hmm. heard that saying. Yeah, yeah, they say put your mask on first. On first. Yes, first. Yes. Thank you. Here's the problem. Women are starting to do more of that, but there's a conundrum. They're starting to try to love themselves, but deep inside, there are still these vibrations of shame and guilt that no, 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 you're not supposed to do that. No, 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 you're wrong. And, And a big thing that I saw for myself is I had a lot of judgment on myself because of those times when I had suppressed myself, I had denied myself, and then I would lash out. I judged myself as being mean. So now, I'm really running a very, very low vibration of shame and guilt. I had to bring compassion to that pain and say, listen, I know my heart. I would have never done anything intentionally to hurt anyone. When I lashed out, I was hurting. That little girl inside of me was in pain. And so by bringing that compassion to her, my worthiness quotient went even higher. And what was so interesting is the more I did that, then if I did make a mistake, if I did screw up, if I did have a moment because I was holding compassion for myself, then compassion was mirrored back to me. So over this time, what I've been understanding is that your worthiness quotient is key to everything in your life. If I remember um, you said I had a radio show. My radio show is now done because I felt called to let it go. It was called Leading with Love, but um, Dr. Joe Vitale was on it one time. He was in The Secret, and he, he was talking about money and financial abundance. He was saying that there's three things about money, and he said the first one is you got to clean up your beliefs around money, like money's hard or money doesn't grow on trees. you got to clean up those things. And he says, and then you have to clean up your worthiness. The next thing you have to do is clean up the feelings about being bad. Well, to me, bad goes into worthiness because if you feel bad about yourself, you're not going to feel worthy. And I remember him talking about that on the show. And I had already started working on my worthiness quotient digital program and my, you know, my quiz and all this different stuff I've been creating. But hearing him say that made me really start taking a look at how our states of worthiness, and we can have different states. Like I can have a great state of worthiness in my relationship with my partner, but at work, I suppress myself, right? So we have different levels that we can come in. And then of course they all mesh together. We want to be in a high state of worthiness in every area of our lives, whether it's health, taking care of ourselves, all the different aspects. It's really important that we love ourselves in every way and clean up the crap that's in our minds that says, no, you're not worthy so that you can manifest whatever it is you're wanting, right? In in whatever way you asked me about my life. I think that that consistency is so key because I think men get it too, but it's almost the opposite. Sometimes they might feel worthy and appreciated and respected at work. And then maybe they come through the kitchen door, you know, they come through the door after a a long day and they don't get that same, they don't have this consistent worthiness quotient in their, in their work lives. Does that, does that resonate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what's interesting for women is 
we have been taught so long to suppress ourselves, believing this is love, right? That And men do it too, but it's in a different way. I mean, we just shut ourselves down. And then we wonder why women are so mean to each other. Mm. We're so competitive with each other. I mean, we have a lot of female workers at our job and my husband will, at, our, at our coffee house, and he'll just say, oh, these women and their emotions. He says, men are not like this. And he's right, because the women... They feel they're suppressed, even though in our company, we're like, you have a voice, say what you want. We value you. I mean, we're all about empowerment in our company. People love working for us, but they're still dealing with their own crap, right? And then you can see, not so much there, but I see the competitiveness amongst women, because if we are in lack and we're suppressing ourselves and you know, telling ourselves that, no, I can't have this. You know, I've got to be a certain way. I've got to be good. I've got to do it right. When we're doing that, we're in lack. So what we do is if we see someone who's not in lack, who's thriving, we want to, women want to cut them down. We don't look at them and go, wow, what an example she's being. So my mission is to help women really raise their worthiness quotients so that one, that lack and division can end because I believe what we see in our world, the lack and division stems from that. It stems from, you, you look at our country right now, there's so much division and people are in survival mode. And the survival comes from a low worthiness quotient. When we are in a high worthiness quotient, we are no longer in poverty consciousness, we are in prosperity consciousness. And so I believe that we women have a, an, an amazing opportunity if we will commit to loving ourselves and to healing mm. and raising our worthiness quotients, that we have this amazing opportunity to change the culture of our planet. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We're coming to the end of the Up Your Brave show. We've got another song to come. Uh, but I wanted to thank you for listening, whether you just tuned in or you've caught the whole show. We talked to Kath Vincent earlier about public speaking skills. We spoke with voiceover artist and speaker Tessa Livingston about mental health awareness, as well as using your authentic voice. And then we just wrapped up with a returning guest, Karen Tui Boys on Study Smart. So you can go and listen to the replays. Uh, they'll be up probably later on tonight or definitely tomorrow on the um, realitycheck.radio um, slash replays page, and you can check them out there. Uh, I'm excited because as the as the year goes on, 2023, um, I am pulling together something very exciting um, for business owners who want to align and amplify their life and their business. And I'm so excited because I did a little post on my personal Facebook page, just a little, hey, does anyone have a venue or a retreat center that they want to suggest or recommend or an Airbnb? I got so many people writing to me. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, and I haven't quite decided, but one that's really, really appealing to me is all about escaping to the forest. And it's literally in, and I'm just thinking forest bathing, incredible photos in the forest, you know, sitting around, uh, looking at what do we courageously want to create in 2024 and connecting with other empowering business owners. So yeah, I'm thinking it might be a forest, but I'll keep you posted for people that want to up their brave in business. Um, 
But if you want to up your brave in your relationship, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I am personally sponsoring. I'm so excited to be um, footing the bill for one couple who would love to really enrich their relationship or marriage, whether you have kids, no kids, married, whatever. Um, this is a great weekend to remember. It's something that my husband and I went along to, to help us on our journey to see more to eye to eye and, and move forward. Um, and I think it can be amazing for somebody else as well. This one is actually taking place in Tauranga and it's in September. Let me check the dates. I'm pretty sure it's the 15 to 17. So I'm doing a giveaway and the place to put your hat in the ring or put your name down for that is familylife.nz slash upyourbrave. And um, Vaynan Jacobs, who is a previous guest that I've interviewed on Empowered Relationships, you can also go and listen to our replay. Um, he's got the link through to it on that page as well. And you also are going to get three tips for date night if you <laughs> sign up for the giveaway as well. So that's just something for you or if you've got someone in your life that might want to go on that weekend to remember, people do come from all over New Zealand and Tauranga is so beautiful. So um, it's a great Great opportunity to spend some time together enriching your relationship. So get into that if that speaks to you. And also, if you want to support RCR, we are funded basically not by the government. We are funded by all the people out there who want to have uncensored discussion and then no cancel culture and honest, um, well fact checked um, news and updates and inspiration, etc. So you can become a member. A foundation member, and you can do that on the realitycheck.radio slash members page. Um, and for some of you, there'll be perks. Well, for all of you that, that joined, there will be perks. And some of you might decide to come to the monthly webinar, which is actually happening this Sunday at 8 p.m. So, hey, I might see you on that if you become a member. All right. Thank you so, so much for listening. It's been absolutely incredible to spend some more time with you. I hope you take something away to help you move forward and up your brave in your life, in your family, in your job, business, fitness, whatever it may be. So until next time, remember to up your brave and be who you truly are. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR, Reality Check Radio.